what follows is strictly for adults. Put your children out of harm's way. You see, the following five gentlemen are clearly not PG. In fact, an R rating would stand for rude. Let's meet them now. He's originally from the land of Lincoln, Illinois. Then he moved to Georgia, and then he moved to Florida. How much farther south can this man go? Cuba? There's no doubt. This man is lucky Ronald Reagan is not alive because he would be calling him a communist. But don't worry, he's no Castro comrade. He's the president of the Bears Country Podcast. The lead host of their signature show. Now he's one of us. One of us! One of us! Aldo calls him the OD. Let's not call him a cocksucker. The other Dan. We don't know anything about him. I mean, we don't know shit about him. We don't know his real name. Is it Thaddeus? Is it Reginald? Is it Frank? I don't know. What's his address? Any of his friends? Does he even have any friends? Hey, we do know this. He's someone you better not fuck around with. He knows the Bears and the game of football. He's funny as fuck. He likes to fuck. And just like me, again, this is redundant, but he likes pussy. No man. This man was an extra on Oliver Stone's Natural Born Killers back in 1994. It is believed he has more body hair than any other mammal on the fucking planet. And some suspect he starred in gay porn back in the 1980s. But there's nothing wrong with that. Now he delivers the Bears' state of affairs. He handicaps games better than anyone except maybe Mike North, but they're both good. He loves the efficiency of bourbon. It's Tooch. It's Mr. John Santucci. You know this gentleman as the Podfather. He created the Barroom Network in 2014. But 2023 figures to be a big year in this man's life. Medicare, Social Security, and erectile dysfunction all at one time. Hey, quit calling him white. He's tired of that shit. He's Puerto Rican. He's Aldo Gandia. I've been saying for three years on the Barroom Network that I love the Chicago Bears more than I do masturbating. But now I don't really know if that's true. All right, I'm just fucking with you. Of course it's true, but it's been a bad season. I mean, except for Justin Fields running all over the place. I recently got dumped by a girl on Facebook. My ex-wife's getting remarried. But don't worry about me. I'm still getting lots of pussy. I'm Dan Aguirre. These five are here to talk about the Chicago Bears and bear their souls. Oh, yeah. What's happening, everybody? I've got my guys with me. I don't have all my guys, actually. Uh, Mr. Shorty is missing today. Uh, but I do have two stars of the show, Dan Aguirre and Nomad. Nomad, how are you, my man? So, wait a minute. Although, you mean to tell me you're not white? <laughs> That's fucked my up, man. My ass is white. My face, Everything about me is white except what's inside of me. Puerto Rican just... is bald. That just fucked up my Christmas gift for you. Now I got to take back the BG CD I got you. <laughs> if I can I get my money back. But no, I'm, I'm good, man. I'm good, man. I'm, re I'm getting some rest, man. And everything's getting better by the day around here, man. So I'm I'm, good, I'm really good. And I'm glad to hear that. And uh, please uh, give uh, your lady friend my very best. 
Vanna Glyer, how are you, my friend? Allegedly, I might get my heat pump installed this week. That'll be great because it's starting to get like, you know, ooh, the air needs to be on kind of weather. Mm -hmm. uh, my cat's doing better. I got laid over the weekend. I mean, you know, things are, let the sunshine in, to quote Aquarius. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody in the chat room wanted to know if we were going to start with uh, sex talks. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about what happened this weekend. <laughs> what, what a big girl is that, Dan? What's happening, man? Hey, man, the thing is, I... I I don't want, again, I don't know if this person would be upset with me talking yet. Cause again, I've only been with her one time, so I got to keep it vague. Suffice to say it was fun. I enjoyed it. And she, uh, I don't want to say anything that would or give her identity away. Cause like I said, she may be pissed about that and I can't violate that. So I got to keep it s s small there and say that it was fun. I think she enjoyed it. And I think there's going to be a round two. Ooh. Well, I'm sure uh, Christina Robles is really happy that you concealed their identity. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, and she loves, <laughs> she loves football, by the way. Oh, she loves on, her own, loves on her own account. She loves football. She was saying to me, she was stressed out about how she's going to watch games this fall. And ironically, today was the day with Sunday ticket stuff coming out. So exactly, exactly. No, do you watch, do, do you get the Sunday ticket or you're in the Chicago area? So you don't need it, right? No, I got, I got you too. So yeah, I do get it. Yeah. But, so, you, no, you, I, but YouTube I, I had, is charging. YouTube yeah. is going to charge for Sunday ticket. I, I, I got a fleet. A uh, little, uh, I seen something on Facebook, but I kind of went past it. I, I don't know what the details of it is. I think Dan, Dan, go ahead, man, because I, I need to know what's going on. Okay. So not to be too confusing, I do not subscribe to YouTube TV. So that's critical on the price point right here. If you have YouTube TV, Sunday ticket will cost you $349 for the season. Now, a couple of things with that. If you buy it before June the 12th, you save $100. But there is no installment pricing. With DirecTV, it can be broken down into six installments. You have to play, pay the flat fucking fee right off the top. For me, I do not want to subscribe to YouTube TV, so it was going to cost me $449 for the season. But, again, if you buy it before the 12th, you have uh, you can save a hundred dollars the twelfth of June. So I paid three forty nine today. I am subscribed. Another thing you should be aware of, like let's say the Bears play at one p.m. Central or at one p one p.m. Eastern, twelve Central, and I work until eight a.m. Before I would just record the game on my TiVo and watch it whenever the hell I wanted to, but now if I don't watch it live, I'll have to get Game Pass and watch it later off of Game Pass. Because there's no way to record it per se with YouTube TV the way there was with Direct TV, mm -hmm. so I don't know how the game and shit's going to look and all these other features. Maybe they'll make it Sunday Ticket like hotter than it's ever been before. But no installment plan, no ability to record. Uh, that kind of sucks. But I mean, what am I going to do? I got to watch it. I, I got to have it. I rather. Uh, the last thing I'll tell you real quick. So. I got the app on my TV, the YouTube TV app, and it kept saying a message about I needed to enter my zip code. So I did that on the website like it told me to, and it still was giving me this message. So I was like, fuck this. Let me Google a number 
for their customer service, which they don't have apparently. But I call a number and I get this uh, subject. I'll just keep it real. He happened to be foreign. I'm not hating on international people, but this guy tried to fuck him. <laughs> he tried to get one over on me. He's like, oh yeah, we can help you verify your location. So I start doing the steps. He's telling me he wants me to send a $500 gift card uh, through the app store. So I was like, okay, I think you're trying to manipulate me now. So fuck you and hung up. Wow. Wow. Yeah, he tried to, he was like, oh, we can help you verify your location. I see that as an issue on your TV. So this will help you get around that. And he says, yeah, go to your app store and do this and do this. And he wanted me to send a $500 gift card that he said would not take money from my account. I'm like, damn, they must just think I'm just Johnny come lately, man. I was like, there's no way I'm doing that. Like YouTube would not do that. There's no way. And if you're going to sell people channels and get them to cut the cord, you got to have customer service, man. What is this? This is 2023. So I was thinking for just five minutes, maybe I'll leave direct TV. I'm not now. If they don't have somebody I can talk to, if there's a problem, fuck that, man. I just hope there's no problem in the fall with the games, man. Mm. Rajneesh says, uh, get a fire stick and an IPTV and call it a day. And I, well, I've got an IP, what the hell is it, an IPTV? I don't know, but I got Google's equivalent to fire stick and that will enable me to record games still on DVD. Uh, I've already got that hooked up. Like I said, and it's straight into my DVD recorder, so I can still record the games now. Again, that's with the equivalent of Fire Stick from Google's perspective, whatever they call it, Google Chromecast or something. Okay, yeah, I've heard of that. Um, Nomad, don't you think that the NFL is making a big mistake here? If they're going to start charging for games, it's going to make it harder and harder for young people to watch the game and therefore to cultivate generations of fans. I think that this is a stupid move when you when you start you know uh, putting a price on so many things to access games. They're forgetting that you know free stuff was 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 what what's made them billionaires. What do you think? Well, YouTube needs some money because that's probably going to be the name of our stadium, the new stadium. They need some money to be able <laughs> to do that. Um, you know, it's it's really par for the course, man. Full disclosure, I don't really give a fuck about. Any of that, man. I'm I'm a uh, a Bears content person's wet dream because I'm hyper focused on the Bears. I don't give a fuck about the rest of those games. I can catch them on replay. I don't care. It really doesn't matter to me. I don't. I'm not beholden to any of that shit. I get to watch the Bears games, and that's enough. I get to break down shit after that, and that's enough. But as far as a fan, the fan base goes, and the fan base of the NFL, it is pushing people further away from the product and further towards piracy you know they they just they'll find another way to get to it that's all they'll do well keep in mind i I agree with nomad on uh i don't only want it for the bears for the most part too but based upon my location if i don't have sunday ticket i better get ready to watch some washington football team or whatever the fuck they're called nowadays (laughs) and uh how about some carolina panthers and pittsburgh steelers for you so yeah i've got to have it for the bears yeah, yeah I think that no matter where, where it's now headed, though, and I, I bet you this will happen within 10 years, is you're going to have to pay to watch a Bears game. It's not going to be free anymore. Um, it's going to become like, you know, uh, prize fighting, where there's a big fight on $79.99. Fuck, they're charging even more now for MMA fights. I saw one was for $99. 
And I can see the NFL headed that way. Um, and I would hate to see that because, you know, I grew up watching the Cubs for free every day during the day and the White Sox for free every every night. And so that's how I became a baseball fan, a Chicago baseball fan. When I started watching football, I could only see the road games. The home games were all blacked out because they weren't selling out. They had The games had to be sold out 72 hours before kickoff. And were you listening on the radio when they were blacked out? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I'll, I'll never forget like that one Bears-Cowboys game where – Tom Landry was alternating the quarterback. Uh-huh. Stallback would go in for one play. And, and Craig Morton. <laughs> exactly. That gave him a Super Bowl. That gave yeah. them a Super Bowl because Stallback said after the after the game, it was so ridiculous that, that I guess they lost to the Bears in 71. Right. And and he just was like, look, it's an ultimatum. It's either me or Craig, one or the other. You have to make your decision right now because this is tearing us apart. And they mm-hmm. chose Roger, and, of course, they won the Super Bowl that year. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Saint Ami well, says there's too much. Go ahead, uh, no man. Real quick, you know, listen. Tell me, tell you something, man. I grew up around a bunch of pimps and shit, and they talk a lot of shit. And they, uh, one of them, told me, man, there's there's three sure things in this world as a commodity: corn, soybeans, and pussy. Investing. <laughs> I will add four to that. Football. People will acquiesce and they will buy it. They run. They're gonna buy that football game. It's true. I just think, you know, um, for some reason, it just becomes harder, I think, for children, kids who were my age, and I wanted to see some sports on TV. I would turn on the TV. There's a football game there. I get to watch it. Now, uh, well, and maybe, you know, maybe it's different now because kids are on YouTube all the time or on social media apps all the time, and that's where the games are going to be. I guess the games are going to be on Twitter as well, but you got to pay, like, a couple hundred bucks or 400 bucks. I think Ross Reed tweeted that out. So um, I don't know if that's, I, I didn't see that anywhere, but I saw a Ross Reed tweet on that. And uh, it's just, I don't know, man. It's just different, I guess. And me and Retro are, are from the 60s and 70s and 80s, and we want to keep some of those things there. Retro says, I started only reading New York newspapers or listening to the sports updates, whether the Bears won or lost. I was regulated to a 30-second clip weekly. Yeah, Retro lives out in New Jersey area, so he wasn't seeing games. Well, all right, guys. Um, uh, Mr. Shorty is at a baseball game tonight with the Atlanta Braves. And so uh, when he texted me that, I replied by saying, fuck you then. <laughs> so he won't be with us. I think the Tooch is going to join us in about uh, 45 minutes or so, hopefully so, so we can get his bear state oh, of affairs. Can, can I ask you one baseball question? Please. I don't know if you saw the article. I sent it to you a few days ago. I just wanted your mm-hmm. reaction. Uh, that Ozzie Gian came out and said that they were stealing signs from the Strohs in 05. Yeah, you know, Ozzie's never going to get a managerial job. <laughs> He's just too fucking blunt with stuff. I think that's something he shouldn't have said. I'm not 100% sure he's telling the truth there. but It was a sweep. Yeah, it was a sweep. They kicked their ass. So I don't know. why. But why would he want to denigrate the title by volunteering that? Is he pissed off at Reinsdorf or or what? I don't know. You think he's salty? Because he was – I was seeing that he was in consideration for the job again. Maybe he's salty, man. I I don't know, man. But I don't see any good reason. I don't see in the I don't see the value in speaking those words. It might, mm-hmm. although it might be true, you know. I don't see the value from his perspective 
why would you do that, man? That just lessens your credibility as a manager. Why would you mm -hmm. do that? I don't get it. And if he's going to do that, why is he giving that out for free? Why not put it in a book, a tell-all kind of book? Um, I, it just doesn't make any sense to me, man. Um, Dan, do you see any reason why he would have wanted to share that information? No, but it, it's ironic that the Astros would come under fire, you know, a decade later for doing the same thing. Like when Dusty took the gig, nobody wanted it. They were toxic waste. The Astros mm -hmm. for cheating in that world championship. Was that 18 maybe when they yeah. won and they were like, they were just stealing everything. And, and so it's ironic that that's who they beat. Cause Houston was in the national league, of course, back then. Uh, I mean, it's so far away from that title that I don't think anyone's really going to be like, oh, the White Sox championship doesn't matter now. Because, I mean, it does, you know, but yeah. I don't know. Like you said, it's like, why would you got away with it? Why would you say that? <laughs> Although, you know something, yeah. man, really quick, man, you know, and you are Puerto Rican and you would, you could probably verify this, man. I got some Puerto Rican friends that, man, <laughs> those motherfuckers' engines run hot. When they get going, they get going. They get upset. They get fucking upset. And sometimes that turns into somebody with no filter. They say shit. They, they mm -hmm. regret later on. I mean, everybody does that. but And that's mm -hmm. not exclusive to Puerto Rican people. But my Puerto Rican friends, man, they, man, those are people you don't want to piss off. Because when they're upset about something, get the fuck out the way. It's going to be a bomb exploding. So. Yeah, I've, I've been known to uh, lose my temper from time right. to time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and Ozzy's Venezuelan, but there is that stereotype that, you know, Latins have that hot-blooded temperament. Uh, and, you know, for the most part, I, I, there's some truth to that. I, I, I remember once I was producing a show uh, here in town for at WTTW. Uh, the PBS station. It was a talk show, and we invited a guy to talk about Puerto Rican independence. Uh, and he was a very active activist here in the Chicago area, trying to get the uh, congressional support for turning, for making, uh, releasing the United States from its Commonwealth status with the United States and uh, making it independent. And when he came on the show, that motherfucker wouldn't let anybody talk. And he was talking way up here. And the poor host of the show is just trying to get the other people involved. And this guy just was cutting in. And I'm thinking, holy shit, what a fucking train wreck. And this guy was the epitome of that stereotype about Latins being outwitted. Yeah, man. <laughs> oh, man. Brecho's married to a Puerto Rican woman. Uh, and he has the scars to prove it. 25 years of wedding bliss. Hey, but you're eating those rice and beans every night, brother. That's hey, what man. counts. I've been involved in that, man, dude. I, I tell you one thing. I learned real quick. Young, young man with a Puerto mm -hmm. Rican woman. Hey, motherfucker, tell the truth. That that shit will keep you with your dick attached to you and a, and a, and a clean throat. Man, I got threatened. I got threatened. And from, I'm serious, man. From that day on, I've been telling women the truth. I don't lie to women. I tell them the motherfucking truth, whether they deal with it or not. I give them the opportunity to make a decision based on the shit I did. I don't lie. And it was because of that Puerto Rican woman. Uh, that's hilarious. I learned from white men can't jump that you can't give Puerto Rican women water if they ask for water. You heard that? You see? Yeah, she's like, he's like, you ask me, you tell me you're thirsty. I think I should go get you water. She's like, no, I want you to empathize and say, I know what it's like to have dry mouth. 
<laughs> That's true. I forgot about that. <laughs> hey, they're some of the most beautiful creatures God ever created. But boy, oh boy, you piss one of those motherfuckers off, all hell coming at you. <laughs> oh man, I uh, I I was gonna say about that movie. Uh, Jesus, did she show her breast? Rosie Perez show her breast in that movie because I know that she did in uh, um, the Spike Lee movie, Do the Right Thing gorgeous things. I didn't uh, think she I, was nude in White Man Can't Jump. I thought she was when she was in the bed. Uh, no, and I'm, I'm I'm sorry. Uh do the right thing is where where she was nude in in Yeah, in, White Man uh, Can't Jump I don't think she was is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, I I get you. Um Stephen Meese says Donald Trump saved Puerto Rico with all those free paper towels he gave. <laughs> Thank you Stephen for reminding me of that. <laughs> Oh, I remember I was going to say, Dad, all the times you've come to Chicago, I haven't taken you to a Puerto Rican restaurant. We have to do that next time. Sounds good to me. Fill your ass up with uh, steak smothered in onions, grilled onions, some rice and beans, and all the condiments. Oh, man. Well, we're inching closer to the schedule so we can come up with a plan on when all this is going to go down this year. Hey, Aldo, what are those uh, paninis that they make those those pork paninis that they make they, I forget the name of it but those uh, are you talking about alcaprujas no, or no, no. The, empanadas no no it's a sandwich it's uh, a, it's a Cuban oh it's a Cuban but, sandwich yeah that's what it's called. every every Puerto Rican restaurant I go to they they sell those yeah Cuban yeah. Uh, uh, sandwiches are are famous I don't particularly like them because they got a lot of pickles in them and. Uh, and I'm not a big pickles fan, and it's ham, but uh, a good Cuban sandwich is hard to resist, no, no doubt about it. Cuban food is very similar to Puerto Rican food. Get, uh, point, uh, point me to a Cuban restaurant, and I am there, man. God, there some... This is, uh, this is uh, one of uh, a main staple of Puerto Rican diets, uh, arroz con gandulas. Gandulas are like chickpeas, and arroz is it's an orange rice. Uh, so what were you going to say, Dan? There was a, my friend, the, I told you he went viral there for a while, is the progressive liberal Daniel Richards on the independent wrestling scene for cutting all these anti-Trump things. He was on mm -hmm. CNN and HBO and Vice and Tucker Carlson. He was all over the place for a, a little bit. He and I both, there was a Cuban lady in one of our journalism classes. We went to college together named Maggie. I won't say her last name, but both of us were just fucking smitten. But we were like, this lady, I would drink her bath water. That's how fucking hot she was. Oh, my God. Damn. I would have been on the revolution, like, pro-Castro, anti-Castro. Either side, she fucking wanted. <laughs> she was unbelievable. Uh, I mean, on a scale of 1 to 10, she's, she's at like a 17. Damn. She was so hot, man. She was so unbelievable. Let me... Uh... Let me ask you this. Did she uh, know the weather? Was she the weather? <laughs> she could have. God. Yeah, look at that. Man. I wonder if she's my Facebook friend. If she is, I'll privately send you her to see what she looks. I don't know what she looks like today. I haven't seen her since, like, W was president. I have to play oh. games in my head and just pretend this is somebody's dad just so I don't take off on you guys. <laughs> I'll abort this fucking show right now. This is going to the bathroom. Saint <laughs> uh, Anthony wants to know what if she had dirty feet? Would you lick those, Dan? Aguirre? Uh, 
Yeah, you would. You do it. Oh man, she she aged well. Yes, I would. <laughs> I'm gonna send you her current day photo. I'll send it in the private chat so both of you can see it. <laughs> in like 2002 or three, I mean, I God, she was unbelievable. I mean, she she's aged well, but like she was even better back in the day. Day. Oh my God! Yeah, send me as many nude pictures as you got. <laughs> I wish. Uh, one day Dan sent me this picture of a woman's bush. So, <laughs> my my phone goes off and I open it up and my wife is near me and all of a sudden oh, no. I'm home. She goes, Who's who's texting? You? Nobody, honey. Hey, yeah, who's this, man. Who's you sending me a picture of man. That's the one I was just talking about, the Cuban lady that I went to college with that my friend and I were both in love with from afar. Neither one of us had the balls to actually hit on her. What's she looking like from the waist down, man? Oh, she's thin. Here's uh, a picture. Ooh. <laughs> See how I chopped her head off there? Yeah. Is that all right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm she's probably 40 TV. now, but man, when she was like 22, God damn, she very, was a fucking model, Jack. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful in that picture, I'll tell you that. All right, guys. Uh, let's turn our attention to the game of... Football. I uh, we, uh, we are going to talk about the upcoming draft, and uh, Nomad and I are going to stick around for a little OT to talk about some day three prospects that we like. I asked them to pick four sleepers, and I picked four sleepers, and we'll talk that in detail. But I wanted to, you know, the whole uh, process of developing a championship football team is something that I've been interested in since I was a kid. Uh, on Monday's episode with Greg Gabriel, we talked about some of the process things that they do at, at Hallis Hall to prepare for the draft, to make better decisions, and so forth. And I thought what would be fun for us tonight, for Nomad and Dan and myself, is to look back at the drafts that have created the two Super Bowl appearances for the Chicago Bears. And so I wanted to start with the drafts that led up to the 1985 Super Bowl team. And, and, and as I was putting together graphics for that, man, I was reminded of so many full, fucking cool things that happened in the uh, building of that 1985 uh, Super Bowl team. And it's, I know Nomad and Dan weren't alive during that time, but I know particularly Dan knows that, era very very well i was alive when the bears won the super bowl the 1985 super bowl yeah i was five but i was alive oh okay i, I thought jesus you're older than i thought <laughs> i'm 42 man <laughs> you are 42 no matter how old are you they want to volunteer now <laughs> hey, hey, i'm timeless let's just put it that way <laughs> i love it i think you uh, have to go back to 79 a little to start very well very well put uh that's exactly where we will start the 1979 draft um and so they start that draft now they had just yeah go ahead quick question am i correct when i say because i i I briefly looked at this isn't this the year that it was either 78 or 79 when they bought in buddy ryan it was i think 76 Six is when Buddy Ryan. Is that right, Dan Aguirre? Do you remember? I was thinking it was he maybe have come in with Neil Armstrong in '78 because okay. uh, remember after '77 they lose the playoff game to Dallas and Jack Pardee like breaks Walter's heart and was just like fucking I'm bouncing Jack I'm going to yeah. I'm going to Washington. 
Yes. And yes. yeah, so yeah, that Walter was really upset at the time. So I think Buddy was a Viking import, if I remember correctly, with Neil Armstrong in '78. Mm -hmm. Well, and Nomad's point is a good one. You know, you don't build uh, championship teams just through the draft. Uh, you know, you got to have great coaches, especially, you know, when you have a guy like Buddy Ryan, who, you know, let's not fucking quibble about this. They won from a coaching perspective. They won more because of Buddy Ryan than did they Mike Ditka. Does anyone want to disagree with that? I will disagree with that. Oh, okay. No. <laughs> Wait a minute. Oh, no. Dude, I'm going to tell you, damn, I'm going to tell you straight up. Mike Dicker is a lot more insignificant than you think he is. I agree with he you. He's a 1988 coach of the year, Mike Ditka. I, what did Buddy do when he was head coach? Oh, he didn't win one playoff game. He did play Ditka in a playoff game, though, and he lost. Just saying. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of context to that, too, now. Yeah. I mean, you can't just... They were better together than apart, but, I mean, Ditka was... You can't say that Ditka's coaching career wasn't more, I mean, successful than Body's. I, all I know is when I look back at that era, when I watch those games, I'm talking about I started watching stuff before Buddy Ryan was there. I started watching some of those old-ass games in that hard-ass-looking field. And listen, there were – until Buddy Ryan got there, you didn't really see a significant change. You started to see the change – when Buddy Ryan became the defensive coordinator. I think he was there before Ditka. Yeah, Ditka came in in 82, and, and as this famous story goes, the players saved Buddy's job mm -hmm. with Alan Page and them writing the letter to, to old man Hallis saying, please keep him as our defensive coordinator, which is cool and all. I'm just saying, but, you know, the significant – I mean, Buddy was there during Neil Armstrong's tenure, and he was getting fired after 81, and it's not like they was ultra-successful – like, Aldo, you have to back me up on this one, I think. I mean, you have to say that the success came on Ditka's watch. I mean, by 83, they're 8-8. Eight and eight. They're 10-6 and six in 84. Their first playoff game since 1963, for fuck's sake, in 84. And then 85, they win the Super Bowl. Then they're 14-2. and two. Then, you know, and just so on and so on. Like, again, coach of the year, 88, Mike Ditka. There's nobody Ryan there. 12-4, and four, Without anybody on the team at that point, basically, they they didn't make significant draft picks defensively, which is this this team won the because there was no significant this this offense was very run of the mill, very average running the mill offense for that era. There was nothing special about it. That team won off defense, and they knew that was the way to win a Super Bowl was defense. The first significant uh, uh, draft pick I think they got. From in the Buddy Ryan era, I think it's Dan Hampton. That's that's 100% true, but I also have to point out they were number one in offense in 85 as well. well they were number one of the league in, in offense and defense in 85. Why was that, Dan? Wasn't it because the defense kept giving the offense half the field? Exactly. Exactly. Well, you, you can say but, 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 but statistically, you know, if we do a deeper dive into the numbers, the numbers are the numbers. No, see, there's there's nuance to numbers. You can manipulate the numbers to represent whatever fact you want. But the, the reality of the situation is this. Mike Ditka, his greatest triumph as coach, uh, head coach of the Chicago Bears is that he galvanized these players to believe that they can win. His Iron Mike persona really scared the shit out of these players. 
But Dan Aguirre, you know, you did a whole special on this for the Barroom Network, that what happened after 85 and after Buddy Ryan left? Well, I said they're better together than they were apart. Yeah, but but, but Ditka as the head coach, he lost the team. He completely lost the team. Players started calling him racist. Players started uh, stop playing for him. He he couldn't come up with a decent offensive game plan, which he liked to try to pride himself that he knew that stuff. He was a fucking mess as a head coach. What got him uh, winning through that era was these great drafts that we're going to look at now. Well, I can't dispute that the drafting didn't help. I'm just saying that when Buddy wasn't winning a playoff game elsewhere, Ditka was still in the playoffs without Buddy. In 86, 87, 88, 90, and 91. At this point, I'd be willing to give head to Aaron Rodgers, as I told you, probably just to make the playoffs a couple of times, let alone the Super Bowl. So they were win- They were making the playoffs consistently. And as you'll see in the draft later on, it's with guys like Jim Morrissey. I mean, because Otis is gone and Wilbur's gone. I mean, they're still like doing good things with average teams. I mean... I'm just you're you all. I'm not shitting on Buddy. Don't don't think that I'm shitting on Buddy Ryan here. I'm just saying like you gotta give Coach Ditka some credit here. I mean like there's he had what 82, 80 and 83 is eight and eight, so you can't call it losing. He had a losing season in 82 and 89 and 92. That's it. That's it. I mean the Ditka was winning, man. You can't you can't shit on Mike Ditka. I can't let that go. Even if everybody calls me an asshole, I am gonna. I don't. I told you so many times. I won't. I don't like to argue, but I will argue on the. I will die on this hill for Mike Ditka. I I, I disrespectfully disagree. That I don't think he's a great coach by any means at all. You like to say, well, what happened to Ditka? I mean, Buddy Ryan once he became head coach uh, at Philadelphia. What happened to Mike Ditka when he became head coach over at New Orleans Saints? I mean, the guy was a buffoon. Traded his entire draft for one player. That's the stuff of idiocy. What he thought, he saw Ricky Williams as his Walter Payton. Yeah, you don't give away your whole fucking draft. That's like, you know, wearing a sign uh, on your back saying, kick me. You know, that's just say, I'll switch it around then. Let's say, and uh, Ditka, of course, is in Dallas in 75. But let's say, for example, he was like, this kid from Jackson State is the guy. I'm going to trade my whole draft to get Walter. Would you would you have said, oh, that's a terrible move? Um, I would yeah. I would probably say yes at the time. Absolutely. Let me what what when what year was he drafted in uh Dan Aguirre? Who Ricky or Walter? Uh Walter Payton. 75. 75 draft. Let me see that's, who a, that's, a, that's a ridiculous move. I don't give a shit what era yeah. you do it in. To trade your whole draft, you know. Okay, so the next running back taken was some guy named Don Hardman. <laughs> <laughs> he ain't gonna get me hard. <laughs> Anthony Davis uh, went to the Jets. He was great at USC, but didn't have great of a pro career. Uh, fuck, there were no running backs in that draft. So maybe you're right, Dan Aguirre. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, I'm scrolling. I'm to the tenth running back, and these are guys I don't fucking name. Woody, no, Woody Thompson. Who the fuck is Woody Thompson? Alan Carter? I think he was around the horn. I'm kidding. That's what he picked. <laughs> Stan Fritz? Thompson, well, see, man. I, I think if Ditka, if Ditka, if Ricky Williams didn't have the mental fragility that it turned out he had with needing to smoke weed and, and all these other things, I shouldn't say need, wanting to, and, and not being 
he to his Ricky always told he later on that he had social anxieties. Had he been more headstrong, such as Walter, that may may not have been a bad pick. And Ricky's talent, I, I was immense. I don't know if it was a bad situation, a bad trade, so much if Ricky would have had his head on straight and they had a Jim McMahon there and not Billy Joe Tolliver or Billy Joe Holbert. He didn't have a quarterback in New Orleans. But if he'd have had, if Ricky Williams playing up to his potential, like he did really well in Miami too. Don't forget that. He still had a very yeah, solid he career. He was that good. He was that good. He had that much talent. Now to just give up a whole draft, I think that's still, that's ludicrous, man. But however, back to Dick really quick, man. I, you know, I'm going to tell you what I really think of him. I think he was a figurehead. He was there to fit a Bears image, the tough guy, you know, that bravado, that guy with the bravado. He's a, he was a figurehead. He was the, uh, the face of the franchise, although Walter was the face of the franchise, but he was the person that they was going to give him that, that image and that, I guess, the, you know, what the Bears brass thought of the uh, team and the organization. We want to be a tough, physical team, and he fit that image. I don't think Dick had shit as far as uh, coaching IQ. I don't think he had shit. I think he put people around him, and they put people around him to make him look better than he was. And I don't mean – I'm not – I am taking some away from Dick. He was a he was a bullshit coach. Fuck him. I don't like. I, was saying, him. I don't like him now. As I was saying, mm-hmm. he was the 1988 NFL Coach of the Year. And if you look at the disparity between the '87 and '88 Bears that the players lost, there's a lot of context there inside the numbers that would say there's a reason Ditka was voted that. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I uh, again, and I don't want to make it seem like I hate Ditka. I just feel like his coaching. Uh, intellect. Uh, I agree with Nomad. He he just wasn't good. What he was good at is firing up a team, getting a team to believe in themselves, uh, putting a chi- uh, chip on their block, and that's what that team needed because it was a completely undisciplined team. You know, when he he went into the locker room and he took all of Ricky Watts, he was a wide receiver, took all of his fucking equipment and threw it out and said, "Get the fuck out of here! If you're not gonna play hard, you're not gonna play for me." And when he first got the job, we're gonna go to the Super Bowl. Now, most of you guys won't be here when we do. So he, he, you know, a, a lot of football players really respond to that. But after a while, they get fucking tired of it. I'm a fucking man. Stop talking to me that way. And he continued that. And, you know, prior to being uh, head coach of the Chicago Bears, he was the special teams coach for the Dallas Cowboys. And Tom Landry had to corral that guy. He said, you're getting too fucking excited. I know special teams is more rah, rah, and, and get into it and stuff. But he was a, become became a nuisance in the sideline. And Landry had to temper him down. And then when he was with the Chicago Bears, after Jim Fink, Finks left, it was Jerry Venisi who became the general manager of the Chicago Bears who had to play – uh, uh, the mediator between management and Ditka because Ditka was pissing off the McCaskey family so much that they told Venisi, we want you to fire him. Venisi would say, I'll work on it. I'll work on it. I'll work on it. And he kept Ditka employed. To me, those are all strikes against Ditka. When you, when you, if you're going to be a leader, you have to be a 360 degree leader. You have to lead with management. You have to lead with players. You have to lead with your coaching staff. You have to lead in so many facets. 
And Ditka could only lead in one or two. And he was also very lucky. He was also very, uh, he was Trump-like in how he uh, uh, commoditized his name. I mean, Ditka Steaks, Ditka Restaurants, and so forth. And that added to his, his, his fame. But as a head coach, Give me Bill Walsh every fucking time. Give me Buddy Ryan. These guys are innovators. Okay, let me, let me jump in. Okay. Again, I'm just, we're just going, your opinion is not wrong. Let me just say that. I'm not disrespecting your opinion. Please know that. Mm-hmm. Think about Ditka and Buddy, the, the infamous incident at the Orange Bowl against the Dolphins. Whose side are you on in that one? They almost fight because Ditka's telling him, get in the fucking nickel. They're yeah. killing us right now, and you can't see that Wilbur can't cover Mark Duper. And, and of course, Buddy's like, get the fuck out of here and refuses to make adjustments. It's Ditka who was right in that issue at the Orange Bowl. So I'm just saying, they're, both guys, they're better together. They're better together. Yeah, Man, you're, talking like, about, you're talking about one instance of a, of a really great football coach that had a bad moment of judgment versus somebody who I don't think has the uh I don't think he had what it what it really took to be an X and O's type of coach. He was more of a lot of people saying in the chat he was more motivational than anything else. I just don't I just listen to I just listen to the former players and majority of the former players who communicate about Dicker, they ain't feeling that motherfucker. I'm Jim just McMahon. McMahon said he he would love to have played with him. You're right, <laughs> but I didn't want him calling the place, <laughs> and it's right. You know, he had an antiquated, uh, you know, Ditka never came up with anything innovative, and I think that coaches have to do that, and I hope Eberflus does too. This cover two hits principle and stuff, a lot of it is, is old, borrowed stuff, but he can refine it, make it better, and as we talk about, you know, the draft and, 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 and the rest of the show later and in future episodes – a lot of that is going to come into play with which players are drafted. How is Eberflus going to use them on the defense and offense? He's got to use them, these players in unique, innovative ways in order to make really make that tra- transformational uh, change into a Super Bowl team. All right? So hey, well, why don't we get started? I was going right, to just say one more thing. One more thing. Again, I've already mentioned yeah, a few times. Time. It's worth acknowledging that he was coach of the year in 88, and I can go through like 15 people that were significant that were not on the 88 team that were on the 87 team. I mean, just right off the top of my head, no Wilbur Marshall, no Otis Wilson, no Walter Pate, no Gary Fensick, no Willie Galt. Richard Dent breaks his leg, and they still go 12-4. and four. I mean, so I'm just saying, you got to give the guy some credit here. He was, like I said, he was unanimously voted coach of the year for a fucking reason. Man. He's yeah, not just some Rudy, bum. I mean, he's not Rudy Mark Tressman. He's Rudy not Giuliani was voted time man of the year. You, you love Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> 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 uh, I get you, that, and I really uh, uh, appreciate the the passion that you have for this. I think I they both are better them. together. They're oh, better yeah. together. Period. Yeah. And 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 Ditka was so fucking much fun. So much fun for this town. That era, 84, 85, 86, 87, 88, those were fucking fun years. And Ditka was a big part of it. He he was part of the act 
but he wasn't, in my opinion, my very humble opinion, he wasn't a part of a big part of the X's and O's and winning. Uh, Jordan says, I agree with you, Aldo, that you can wear down on players being a rah-rah guy, but those rah-rah guys often spur the most drastic improvement and success in the immediate. I totally agree with you, Jordan. Totally agree with you. Yeah, I mean, Dan and, Campbell is sort of Detroit's dead guy, I think. Exactly. But that shit does wear off. And so what you are left with is you've constantly got to reinvent things. Phil Eltoshin and I got into a big argument because he says, football never changes. I go, what are you talking about? This fucking oh, game changes all the time. Running, oh. tackling, passing, th those things stay the same. And, and even that changes a little bit because he really said that. He really fucking said that. Man. He really fucking said that. I'm like, you're fucking nuts, dude. I started making fun of him and his father. You're, you're your father. He's still living the same era of football. The, the game has changed dramatically over the years, and it's changing right now. We are seeing watch, – watch what's going to happen in the next few years. I am forecasting this. Running backs are coming back in a big way. Big way, because you're playing against all these defensive shell positions. They're giving up 10 yards because they don't want uh, uh, pass receivers to get behind them. So you're going to give the ball to running backs, and they're going to pick up 7, 8, 9, 10, 15 yards. Those defenses are going to have to start coming back. That every, every couple of years, there's shifts in strategy and stuff. And hopefully we've got a coaching staff that's going to foresee what's on the horizon from a strategic standpoint and address it not only with the players, but also the coaching styles. Yeah, to your point. Uh, I'm sorry, no man. Go ahead. This I just got a really quick point about coaching and how things change. You know, there's always going to be those rah-rah guys because football is a rah-rah sport. And I have a personal issue with, uh, with, with you know, the proximity. I've never been able to handle well a coach that's all the way in my fucking face, screaming and yelling and spitting. Mm -hmm. I've never been able to handle that. It triggers me. It triggers a whole bunch of people that I know from the environment that I grew up in. This is something I've had to sit down in coaches' offices and have this conversation. Man, Hey, man, you can say, well, I'm self-motivated. I don't need to be motivated. I came onto this field ready to play, but I don't need you in my face because I made a mistake and spitting and yelling in my fucking face. And he was that kind of guy. And I can see why he probably rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Bobby Knight's that kind of guy. I can see why he rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. So, and Conversely, though, the Dallas Cowboys, if you listen to Michael <laughs> Irvin or, or uh, Troy Aikman or Emmitt Smith, they all credit Jimmy Johnson for being that kind of guy. And despite the fact that Switzer won a Super Bowl there, he was laid much more laid back, and they said that that created apathy within the team. Mm -hmm. And that they needed Jimmy's fiery disposition to get over the top. I love Danny O'Bramwitz as their uh, special teams coordinator, by the way. No question yeah. about it. A lot of guys do need that that kind of person that, that really – a lot of people will benefit from that. I don't think all coaches know who, exa who exactly are those guys all the time they will just take that course with everybody and it doesn't sit well. And so the really good coaches will understand who needs that kind of motivation and who doesn't. You can't go to walk up to a, a, a Walter Payton or a Mike Singletary and go chew him out right in the middle of a game with the side, I mean, with cameras going. He didn't have that kind of sense. He did that kind of shit. Just walk right up to a guy. I'm not saying in particularly, in particularly uh, Singletary or Payton, but he did that kind of shit. He it's did like to Harbaugh. He to do 
not to do that. Yeah, he did it to Jim Harbaugh in 92, but after the game, he said that, you know, I, I told Jim to not change the claw, and he thinks he knows more than I do, evidently, but Harbaugh's audible was correct. Neil Anderson didn't hear, it, and it led to Todd Scott's interception, and the 20 to nothing lead at the Metrodome ended up being a 21 to 20 loss in the fourth quarter, which was terrible. I don't know. A lot of people in the chat room are saying that they respond to that. Look at what Jordan is saying that as a player, he, you know, he loved uh, when a coach would get up into his face and is spitting and yelling and, and that, uh, and then he wants to see the coach do the same thing. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it just makes me wonder, you know, (laughs) are you into domination? That shit, man. Although seriously, some guys Mm -hmm. really need that kind of, it's almost like you, you didn't have a, a, a solid father figure in your life growing up. And here comes that father figure getting on your ass and pushing you to levels that you don't you didn't know you had in you. I was I was already pushing, I was pushing myself harder than anybody could push me. And so, and the way I grew up, people getting in your face, it triggers you and you you're ready to fight. Hey man, get the fuck out my face. Say whatever you want to say to me. Get the fuck out my face with that spit. The worst yeah. thing about coaches in my playing era was they all wore those tight little bike shorts they were you know the the company bike and the the nut huggers the really 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 short coach shorts god those were fucking awful <laughs> that's so true <laughs> everybody wore those too everybody <laughs> uh it's that's a, that's a really good discussion we could go on another hour on that whole thing about coaching styles and so forth and and i do think that you know like i said earlier Decker came at the right time. This team needed that kind of harsh whipping. Uh, but, you know, I think a really great coach would have then figured, all right, these guys, now that I've been with them for a few years, they don't need that anymore. You, you, Dan, didn't you read the Otis Wilson book? Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. And do you recall the confrontation? I, Otis I, I do. I do. And the first off, the Spare Bears thing was a huge thing to hurt Ditka. And, yeah, he uh, and Otis thought that he – his opposition to him was racially motivated. And of course I can't say that Otis Wilson's wrong. Uh, and, but I mean, I don't know how many other people were accusing him of being a racist, but even if it was just Otis, that's, that's awful. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I do remember Otis. Oh, but t- again, I love Otis Wilson. I fucking love him. His son was great in my state and played at West Virginia and played high school ball here. At Quincy. I love Otis Wilson, but he also said in the book, uh, that like Singletary wasn't worth the fuck without he or uh, or uh, Wilbur Marshall, so basically said that Singletary was overrated. And you know, again, Singletary won some defensive players of the years and and is in the Hall of Fame. So I mean, I'm not saying Otis's opinion doesn't matter. I'm just saying, but he has he's very strong opinionated. Yeah, de- definitely. And I can't say, you know, just real quick for those who don't know the story, uh, Otis, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Dan, Otis was upset that he was injured and then lost his job to Ron Rivera, despite right. the fact that there was a rule on the team that you do not lose your job due to injury. So when he was ready to play, Ditka told him Ron Rivera stay, staying in at the uh, outside linebacker position. He went off on him, had to be held back. And as he's being pushed out of the room, he says, I'm going to let everybody know what they don't know, that you're a fucking racist he really went off on it and i'm not saying ditka is a racist but clearly one player alleged that he did and that could have been because of these hardcore coaching tactics that some player then you know 
uh, got so angry that he called them that. And so that's what I don't uh, I don't appreciate. You got to be able to be a good judge of people and to know, you know, if you've got a rule, you don't lose your job to injury. Sit the guy down and and tell him you didn't lose your job because of injury. You lost your job because Rivera is playing better or whatever. You got to smooth that over in a, in a way that's that's. So, you know, Aldo, do you think you think Wilbur? I mean, uh, what's his name? Otis, uh, Otis, Otis Wilson. Really? You think he just pulled that out of his ass because he was upset? In your heart of hearts. No, I think you know there was definitely talk among some of the players about that. You know, I'll I'll I'll, I'll tell you. I did some events with some members of the Chicago Bears from that era. Talk to Dennis McKinnon. He'll tell you some of the same stuff about Mike Ditka. And, you know, he and, he and Dave Durst, and I, I spent uh, a week with them down uh, in Disney World, and those guys told me some stuff about the team and stuff. They weren't, you know, they weren't being disrespectful. They were just kind of telling it like it is. Donnell Wolford a few years later. Um, so – I don't know. I, I I don't I don't like to you know take this discussion to making it about Ditka's racism or not because we don't know. I didn't witness that, but I can tell you that some players have publicly and privately alluded to it. So, all right, um, Johnny Santucci is standing nearby. Guys, let's delve into this uh, uh, draft, and then uh, when John uh, pops in here, he can uh, join in on the discussion when he's ready to go. So let's go back to the 1979 class. I agree with Dan Aguirre totally. When I studied the draft, it's got to start with the 1979 draft because who's the number one overall pick? It's Dan Hampton, who ends up being a Hall of Famer. And if Otis Wilson was going to say Mike Singletary wasn't that great of a linebacker, I think he should give the credit to Dan Hampton, not so much to himself and Wilbur Marshall. I mean, this guy Hampton played up and down the line. You name a position, three tech. Uh, nose tackle, left end, right end. He played it all, and he played it all at a very fucking high level. Uh, you got a good Dan Hampton story that you want to share with us, Dan Aguirre? Yeah, Dan Hampton in his last season, just how a, a fucking man. I mean, he had no cartilage left in his knees uh -huh. and, and still played another year despite basically doctors telling him, like, you shouldn't do this. This is going to have long-term long -term, uh you know, ailments are going to create on you as an old man. And he still did it. And he, I think he signed a waiver. If I remember that he wasn't going to sue anybody just to play that last season. Tom Waddle always says he was the toughest man he ever met and the best player that he ever played with. But Waddle again, wasn't there when Walter was there, for example, but uh, yeah, the man's revered. Like you say, he could have been a hall of fame defensive tackle or a hall of fame defensive end. He played both made the pro bowl at both. He's just fucking phenomenal. I mean, and he's the centerpiece in a lot of ways of that defense, especially the symbol up front of toughness. And you combine him with Steve McMichael, and then you, you were going to see Richard Dent coming in pretty soon. I mean, and and, and Hardenstein. You know, we can't shit on Mike Hardenstein, who was drafted with Walter in 75. And then right. Perry. So, yeah, the pieces are coming, man, but it starts right here with 99. Totally. Totally agree with you. And then that uh, brilliant move to trade Wally Chambers. Wally Chambers, who was, I think, a three-time pro bowler with the Chicago Bears throughout the 1970s. He was entering his 
sixth or seventh season, for some reason, the Bucs traded number one draft pick for Chambers. He was clearly in the decline of his career. He only lasted another year, maybe two years with the Bucs. That was a huge steal. Al Harris, outstanding defensive lineman. Unfortunately, he wasn't on the 85 Bears because he had a contract held out and missed out on the biggest fucking season in pro football history. Yeah, and Todd Bell, too. Yep, and that Ricky Watts is the guy I mentioned earlier that uh, Dick Pitt cleared out his locker room. And says, "I don't give a shit if you're a second round pick. You're not hustling. You're not playing for me." And so, but you know, uh, again, it starts at the top when you fucking coming off a ten and six record, as you can see the record uh, on the lower right. You're coming off a ten and six record, and you're drafting two high quality offensive, uh, I mean defensive linemen, and one of them in the Hall of Fame. That's a good fucking draft. That's a good way. If to I, I hate to contradict you, I, I, I just. Uh, 10 and six was their record, uh, in 79, uh, after the 79 uh, that, draft. You're, you're absolutely right. My bad. That, that was I apologize. Right. I didn't want to contradict you. Uh, no, I no. forget their 78. They were really, they made the playoffs in 78 and 79, 78. They were a disappointment. Correct though. Correct though. And please, anytime I make a mistake, correct me. And anytime. You well, I, I don't want you to think I'm being a dick or anything. I don't, I, I think you know me well enough now that I'm not, but just please don't think I'm being disrespectful. Who are you again? Um, <laughs> we go to 1980, and uh, this is the Otis Wilson draft. Oh man, and Matt Suey. Matt Suey. So you got two Super Bowl guys, two integral guy parts of the Super Bowl right there. With again, your first two. Picks. And and Matt, you got to give Matt some love because at the time Walter had Roland Harper, and that was his guy. And and not only did Matt become Walter's guy, like he was Walter's guy throughout the end of his life helping yep. him with his family. And I mean, just those two guys had a bond the way it, way it was depicted with, with Sayers and, and, uh, uh, uh what's his name? Uh, Piccolo. Piccolo. Brian Piccolo. Like that's the kind of relationship Walter and, and, uh, Otis or Matt Suey had as well, you know? Indeed. I mean, there should be a movie about that, you know, and I know Hollywood producers, ah, that's been done before with those two other bears. No, this one has its own special elements to it. Uh, it's definitely an incredible story that Bond, that Suey and Peyton had. Um, and again, we've got the two Super Bowl guys. The rest of these guys, you know, really weren't a big part. Yeah, of who the, the fuck's Paul Tabor? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think he was a cornerback, uh, a skill position player, maybe a wide receiver. Anybody in the chat know, remember Paul Tabor? Some of you old bloods out there. Uh, but anyway, uh, so the Bears, though, regress and fall to 7-9. and nine. Who's coaching this year? Do you know, uh, That's still Neil Armstrong. He's going to be there through 81. Okay. So this He's got is one a, more year to go with Neil. The 1981 draft, then, uh, is another significant draft. Yeah. Again, another Hall of Look at that. Here. You got big Keith Van Horn, uh, the right tackle. Of course, he doesn't really come into his own until like 83. And right. then obviously you got Mike Singletary. And don't sleep on Kenny Marjoram. Marjoram was a solid wide receiver for the Bears as well. But And for some reason, they caught him midway through 86, which is so – I always thought, like, was so uh, – you know, what the fuck are you doing? Especially when Dennis McKinnon's out for the year. Yep. So, they like, they opposite Willie in, the, like, the playoff game in 86 is Keith Ortego. Like, what are mm -hmm. you doing? And then Todd Bell. Todd Bell was such a great safety that no one knows. And then you've got the – the, of course, a man who went up coaching the Titans in the Super Bowl, Jeff Fisher. Right. Can I, and Todd can I Bell. Was, yeah, go ahead. Just real quick. And this is just for the record. This is all This is all Dan Aguirre and, and Aldo. All I can do in this segment is hold my nuts. 
because they got this locked down. I don't I don't really know shit, but I know yeah. um, the significance. The significant moves happened when Buddy got there, and the significant moves happened on defense. Yes, Most. I mean the talent that they're drafting on defense, Nomad and Nomad. I, you know, uh, when we get to talk about the upcoming draft, we're going to refer to this draft in many ways because, again, this is a blueprint for Ryan Poles. Well, how he developed this team, how the uh, Jim Finks was still drafting for the team uh, back. Then um, the way he developed this team was at and from the trenches on out, offensive and defensive line, and uh, 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 great uh, ball seekers like Mike Singletary on defense. And by the way, Ken Marjoram, uh, Dan Aguirre, I remember watching him play at Stanford and making these Lin Swan acrobatic catches. And when the Bears drafted him, I, I thought to myself, holy shit, we're entering the new era of Chicago Bears football. We're going to be throwing the ball. We're going to be having some fun. We're going to have. Unfortunately, his career was a bit of a disappointment. He suffered a lot of injuries. I, I agree with you. He should not have been cut in favor of uh, Ortigo, but I do think it had to do with more of a health reason why. It, um, you're talking defense during that time, and I agree. Uh, Marjoram had a great catch in McMahon's first start, and uh, had a great catch in the Super Bowl, for that matter. But uh, Walter said, and again, I think you know Walter's, anything Walter says has comes with a lot of reverence. He said the what maybe put them over to get them to where they ended up being in New Orleans is coming with the next draft in your first mm -hmm. pick in 82. Yep. Look at that point uh, you heavens just made. How about that? Leslie Frazier and Jelly Hilgenberg went undrafted. And we're talking about 12 rounds back there, fellas. There were 12 rounds, and they went undrafted. And they're signed by Vit Finks, and these guys go on to be major, major players for the 85 team. Uh, and then Steve McMichael, who was drafted in 1980 by the New and England and then cut, he then is picked up by Finks, and he becomes another integral member. So A guy that should be in the Hall of Fame, and not because he's got uh, ALS. I mean, he his career, like if he was completely the biggest asshole in the world right now uh, and, and just a terrible person, his career alone should have put him in the Hall of Fame. I'm not just saying that because of the sentimentality that he's sick, right? which he is, and, and he looks – it's it's sad. But, I mean, his career, he was great. Steve McMichael yep. was great. And uh, uh, people are, are wondering, you know, about some of the players who were on before the 79 draft. You quickly mentioned a couple of players, Dan Aguirre. Let's go over them. Gary Fensick, Walter Payton. Um, who else? Mike Hartenstein. Mike Hartenstein, <laughs> you mentioned him. Uh, I think there's another integral player uh, that was drafted before 79. But in any case, yes, there were, there were some players um, who were – you know, nine, ten year veterans by the time they got to the Super Bowl, but they were definitely a big part of there's a lot of bears that that left after eighty-four that were there in the seventies through all that bad shit and just didn't make it one more year, which is really sad. Your mm -hmm. Jim Osborne kind of uh, Terry oh. Schmidt, you know, yes. and even even Alan Page, man, it just misses it by a couple of years with all those Super Bowl losses in Minnesota. You love to have seen Alan Page hang around. Even if he's on the bench, man, just to get him a ring after all the, the, the again, four losses with Minnesota and all of those guys talk about just they still, like, fixate on it. You know, Jim Marshall says that all the time. Yep. 
it's it's so sad. And then Todd Bell, who was chosen in the fourth round, as you mentioned earlier, uh, Dan, he was a uh, a hard hitting safety drafted out of Ohio State. This guy was a fucking player, and um, I mean, he and was held like a linebacker. He held out, and uh, he missed out on the greatest season in NFL history. And now, then and he died young too. He died in like 05. Oh, you know what? You've told me that a couple times, and I just every time you mention it, it's like a dagger because I keep forgetting that he he has already gone way past. Yeah, that. he died in I think 2005. Jeez, that's not good. <laughs> that's not good. Um, 1983 is considered one of the top drafts of all oh, time. Oh, 82. You skipped over 82. Did I? There's a big one in 82, man. Jim McMahon. There you, got you to... go. <laughs> now, now, on this one, there's a couple of people. Uh, Jim McMahon, obviously, is going gonna, is gonna to win 28 straight starts. You can't shit on that. Tim Reitman, good player. He's going to go to the USFL first, so we're not going to get him for a few years. Dennis Gentry, extremely underrated. Do it's, He can do anything. Return kicks, return punts, play wide receiver, play halfback. He can do it all. Kurt Becker, solid lineman, good enough to start, but he's like your best backup through all those years. McMahon's roommate, actually. Uh, Henry Waxter was on the Super Bowl team. So This is a decent draft here, too. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And um... – I was so excited when McMahon came into town. Gunslinger comes out of the limo with a beer can, you know, wearing sunglasses. I'm like, holy shit. Previous year, we get Kenny Martin. Excuse me. And now we get a quarterback to throw to him. This is unbelievable. And then that trade, the Bears trade the 1982 second-round pick to the Bucks for their 1983 first-rounder. And I know Dan knows who that guy is. That was Jimbo Cobra, right? Oh, 1983 coming up as part of the greatest draft, one of the greatest drafts in history. It was, it was Cobra. Oh, I was going to say Covert was picked first. I, oh, yeah, yeah Willie. Uh, Willie was part of the, the trade. Okay, I got you. Correct, correct. That pick from Tampa Bay was uh, Willie Galt, that, that pick. So look at you that. Got <laughs> yeah, look at that. You got Covert. You got Willie, who should have never been traded, although they got two first-rounders for him later. Mike Richardson, who's had a terrible second half of his life in prison and stuff, but solid player, not great, but solid. Dave Dorison, fucking phenomenal, underrated, I think. And I'm not just saying that because of his the ending of his life. Tom Thay Tom Thayer, great on the radio, very very good football player. Richard Dent, fucking phenomenal, and he's an eighth round pick. Richard Dent is good enough to be a first round pick. The man's getting you 10 sacks a year every fucking year. And, and again, Robert Quinn broke his his record, which was 18. Mark Bortz hung around forever. Mark Bortz was with the Bears until like 95. Mm -hmm. Solid pick. Who's the GM now? This is Jim Fink's uh, next to last draft. Because he did the 84 draft, but he had already told management he was leaving because he was upset that Hallis, Papa Bear Hallis, hired Mike Ditka as the head coach and didn't consult with him. He's like, this is my fucking job. It's my job to build a team, and that includes the coach. And Hallis says, I want Ditka. And Fink says, I'll stick around one more year, and I'm out of here. But this was Fink's, yes. You done him good on the way out the door, I'll tell you that. How about that, right? And the other thing, uh, Dan, is Tom Thayer signed with the USFL. Three days before the draft, the NFL draft, the Bears and Jim Finks 
did not know that. And they were, they got pie in their face because of that. So I don't know who did you mention before that was the player that signed with the USO? I think it was Tom Thayer, not the. Uh, it was uh, Reitman, the tight end from the 82 okay, draft. Reitman did, right, right. Reitman did go to the USFL. That, that is true. But Tom. Yeah, he, he came in with the Bears, I think, in 85. I think he played 85 and 6 with the Bears, but he was in the USFL 82, 3, and 4, I believe. Mm hmm. Hey, I got a trivia question for you, and I don't want to interrupt your uh, Tom Thayer. Well, I'll just go ahead and tell you the answer. Pat Dunsmore, if I recall correctly, caught a touchdown for Walter in the Washington playoff game. <laughs> That's right. Pat Dunsmore. Shout out to Pat fucking Dunsmore. Like, hello, fourth string tight ender. But, you know, <laughs> caught a touchdown from Walter. How do you remember which does does Dan Aguirre use to just know this shit? He did pull this shit right out of his ass. That motherfucker oh. knows some kind of witchery. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, I, that's the way I feel when you're talking about the college players and shit. Like, when you're talking about the draft, I'm like, I'm just going to be quiet and listen to Nomad talk. I don't know shit about what's going on there. So hey, I, I got to give it to you, man. Yeah, I, I don't know anybody that knows history, Bears history like that. I do not know anybody. I'm just, I'm just obsessed. That's all. All right. So now we're starting 1984 season, and we're starting to get this feeling. Holy shit, man! This and we got dope. the baddest motherfucker on the planet in the first pick in '84. Who, who? It's like, man, how did he fall? Oh my how god! What do you remember? What overall pick he was in? The was first he eleventh? Maybe. I, I, yeah, I want to say it was, because yeah, you're absolutely right. This guy should have been a top three pick. This was the. He was he was Lawrence Taylor, you know, uh, and probably would have been as good as Lawrence Taylor if he had been on a different defense. Not to say that the Bears' defense was bad for him; yeah. it was really good. And eighty-eight. Had, by the time he leaves the Bears, he signs a contract with Washington. He's the highest-paid player in the history of the league on defense at the time he signs the deal. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's a guy you cannot let go. Again, the the thing it's worth mentioning here is that Mike Singletary had a favored nations clause in his contract that essentially said, I have to be the highest paid player on defense. You can't blame Mike for getting that. I mean, any of us would take it if they're going to offer it to us. But consequently, the Bears are like, well, if we pay Wilbur what Wilbur's commanding on the market, we got to give Mike a fucking raise too. So that's very instrumental to Wilbur not being with us after 87, which again, fuck it, man. You're the Chicago bears pay your guys. This is your draft pick. I mean, the, the New York giants kept paying Carl banks when he became like, people were actually saying, is he better than Lawrence? Of course he wasn't, but he was a fucking stud. And then they had pepper Johnson and they kept their guys together and we let our guys walk. Hey, real quick. You know why I think, in, in just watching those games, I, there's something that really stood out to me on defense. To me, this it's just my eyes just pick up little shit, and then it just expands in my mind, and I start watching it more and more. But it was clear to me, and I watched a bunch of uh, teams during that time: the Giants, the uh, Redskins, a bunch of teams. They had to; they must have had the fastest two linebackers in the league. It looked to me, Wilbur Marshall and uh, Otis Wilson. Those motherfuckers sideline to sideline were different than anything I'd seen during that era. And so mm -hmm. when it came to um, coverage ability and, and going north-south, you know, the lateral ability, that's where they they blew uh, Mike Singletary out of the water. 
And that's why they're probably saying, you know, Mike Singletary was good, you know, filling a hole here and there, tackling and all that kind of stuff. But when it came to sideline to sideline, dude, he couldn't he couldn't hold those motherfuckers jocks, man. Those two dudes were different. I agree. I agree that with Singletary, uh, my again, who am I to judge Mike Singletary? But I think Mike is is all heart. He's one of these guys like Tom Waddle that is probably exceeding. No, he's a second round pick, but I'm saying he plays better than what his his skill set is. He exceeds expectations, and you know what I mean. Like you said, Wilbur and Otis have pure talent. And and maybe Mike doesn't have the same amount of talent, but he's got fucking heart. That's just you can't quite. And like he he again was a rugged. He's the kind of guy that should be a bear. You know that that again he works hard, busts his ass, and it's all because of effort. You're absolutely right. And I remember again uh, when I was reading that same draft that he came out with the Kenny Margarine draft. And I remember reading that at Baylor, Mike Singletary cracked eleven helmets from his ferocious hits. And so I'm reading the scouting report by Joe Bushbaum uh, about uh, Mike Singletary. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I want this guy (laughs) under Bears. And lo and behold, two of my favorites from that draft, Marjoram and Singletary, are drafted. And, yeah, he didn't have the physical skills of uh, Wilbur Marshall or Otis Wilson. But what he had was smarts. Mike Singletary, as soon as practice was home, he had a 16-millimeter projector. And all night long, he was studying football. He was studying the upcoming team for that week. He was studying his own defense. He was the signal caller. He was the quarterback of that 85 Bears defense. He knew where everybody should be. He knew what the offense was going to do before even the offense knew what they were going to do. His smarts, and that's why Buddy Ryan and him loved each other, because Buddy loved the way he understood what he was teaching and applying it. And so that's what made him special. And again, when it comes to this upcoming draft, I hope we find a Mike Singletary. And don't forget, in the championship game, Eric Dickerson had had 240-plus yards against Dallas the week before. And there was, yeah, over 240, man. And then he he gets like 39 or 40 against the Bears, but there was a big third down early in the game. And it's Singletary versus Dickerson in the hole, man, and Mike fucking slams him down. And that kind of stuff set the tone for that game. They're, They're 24 to nothing. Two more quick things that I think should be said about this draft. First off, I think Sean Gale killed a motherfucker a few years ago. Uh, it no, may have been by su- accident. It was he was suspected. If I remember the story correctly, he was suspected of murder. Somebody else, oh, you said that. I was going to say somebody else said that. <laughs> it was a coincidence. But then, yeah, uh, Laz says that it was his ex-girlfriend that was found guilty of that crime. And that, as I remember it, Laz, I think you're 100% correct. A jealous girlfriend uh, murders Sean's current girlfriend. I think that's how the story went. Uh, So, yeah, it was a very ugly situation. And we should acknowledge Wilbur because Wilbur, again, statistically, has exceeded so many players at his position in the Hall of Fame. It should probably be there, but he's always missing from all these 85 Bears conventions and stuff because he he can barely walk. He can barely stand. He's on a cane. He, he's gotten heavy, and he's so ashamed of it. And he's he was he's was asked because he won a Super Bowl with Washington as well, Super Bowl 26. He was asked if he, you know, because you hear Jim McMahon or even Mongo now. He said, I would do it all over again, even if you told me I still ended up in this bed. That's what Mongo said. I would do everything the same way 
and play with my guys. Jim McMahon said the same thing with his head injuries. They asked Wilbur, if you knew this was going to be your life, would you play? He said, absolutely not. That's how bad a shape Wilbur's in physically. And it's just so it's so sad that in an era where the Bears are worth you know two billion, they have taken care of Mongo. They bought him a special wheelchair and stuff. Man, like when you have that Bears hundredth a couple years ago, do something to help him, like, you know, fuck, give this guy something. I mean, maybe he doesn't need money. Just show you love him. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Bring him out and show him that it's okay. Like, no one's judging you, man. You should be revered. And the guy sits at home as a recluse now. I feel so bad for him. Yeah. I I, I feel like the uh I felt like this for a long time. The just the benefits that players aren't able to get after the game. It is so much of a job physically. I mean, it takes such a toll on people. And you know, I can understand somebody like me, I'd give up a limb to play again right now. Right now. You know, one of these limbs, I'll give up finger. I'll give up something to be able to play again. But everybody doesn't feel like me. I'm I'm one of those people. But, you know, after the game, man, it should be something there for those guys that land on. It wasn't really – the NFL wasn't worth much, even at the time when Wilbur Marshall was playing. You know, so I think they need to do something with those funds and try to help out some of these guys for sure. I just hate hearing shit like that. Yeah, man, he's – He's got it. Like I said, I won't even make appearances. It's it's so sad, you know? Yeah, I think, you know, the severity of these injuries for certain players is to the point where they regret having, you know, taken part of the game, even for the millions that they earned and the fame that they collected. Um, and But there are some uh, players who love the game so much, love every aspect of it from the camaraderie. And I think Wilbur Marshall was a big camaraderie fan. He was pretty much off to himself. Uh, you know, he was tight with his linebackers, but it wasn't, you know, a, a bond that lasted, you know, you know, even after he went to Washington stuff. But my point is, is that there are some players that, you know, they could be fucking in, in head to toe cast after their playing careers are done. And they would not regret a single moment of it because they just love the game like we love watching it. You know, it's a beautiful, violent game, but it is fucking. It, that's, I remember, you remember when we had Jim McMahon on and mm-hmm. I was, I asked him about, you know, because Hampton and him, as you know, never got along. And it's just like those two guys should have loved each other, you would think, because. McMahon, as your criticism of him is he's too reckless with his body and not smart enough, but he's giving his soul to the team. And like so many people on the team revere him. And and it's Hampton who just fucking hates him. And I asked him, like, even now, like, what do you, what do you, do you think? Why do you think Hampton has such a grudge against you? And he's like, who gives a shit? I don't care. I mean, he really doesn't care. He's very much like Cutler in that regard. He doesn't give a fuck, man. But, I, it just—I I, don't—it just seems like he and Hampton would would be tight because they both are giving everything they've got to the no. team. They played on both different sides of the ball. You couldn't touch the motherfucker the whole time in practice. You get you get when you play defense, man. Either you have a connection with the quarterback, and and you don't have that that piss and vinegar type of attitude. Like, oh, I can't. Oh, if I could just hit his ass one time. Some some of the, like the quarterback that we had in college. I wanted to light his ass up. I didn't like him. He was an asshole. He was an asshole with people off the field. He was an asshole on the field. So I wanted to knock the shit out of him. But some, I mean, and there's other guys that you have, like people love Justin Fields. They fucking love him. They don't want to fucking hit him in practice. They need that dude for the game. But some people give off that kind of energy, man. It's just like, man, dude, 
I can't stand your ass. And, and if I got one good chance in practice to knock the fuck out of you, I would. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's face it. You know, the game uh, has changed, you know, to make it more safe for players. The business model of the NFL has always been fucking violence. You know, if you watch some of these old NFL films and you would see players injured and they're dragging them, literally dragging them off the field <laughs> and they wouldn't stop the action. You know, it, it was so inhumane what the league was. They would practice two days in 100 degree heat. The coaches would forbid the players from drinking water because yeah, they you were soft if you wanted tough. water. If you exactly. want a water, you were fucking soft. <laughs> exactly. You, you know. <laughs> they remember the guy from the Vikings died one year in camp. It's somewhere in the early 2000s. That kind of changed the, a lot of viewpoints on the water, the hydration. Because, I mean, again, I didn't get to play at a higher level like Nomad did. But, you know, just playing regular ball in high school or junior high. I mean, we weren't – I mean, the, the water mentality was like that when I played too. So I'm saying – but the, it that – Thought process seemed to change, and the guy died from the Vikings. I can't think of his name. He was in camp in like 05, 06. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He died of like a heat exhaustion and, and dehydration and stuff. I don't know about that. Dan. Corey Stringer, there you go. I was like, what do you, my coach was like, what do you need water for, you pussy? Get the fuck back out there. <laughs> I mean, that I used to play flag football around that era, and that was the thing, too. Hey, man, anybody getting water? Hey, what the fuck is wrong with you, water? Come on, we're playing a game. <laughs> We wouldn't even show up with a water canister or anything like that. Hardcore like that, man. All right, let's get to that final draft before the 1985 magical season. Uh, by the way, Dan, I wanted to ask you this: You recall what happened in 1984 playoffs with the Chicago Bears? They win their first game against the Washington Redskins, and all of a sudden, people are like. Holy fuck, man. We could be going to the Super Bowl. We're just going to win yeah. one, one game. Like take said, us back to that uh, NFL, cha NFC championship game. Uh, Jim McMahon's out. He has a lacerated kidney. It's no joke. I mean, the guy, again, was pissing purple shit. I mean, like his balls were swollen and everything. Like, uh, there was a time uh, on CBS's broadcast of that Redskin playoff game that you know, maybe McMahon plays if they make it to Super Bowl 19. But here, when we had him in the barroom, he said, there's no way I was still fucking hurt. But so they're with Steve Fuller. And, you know, he's a serviceable backup, but you're playing Joe Montana. You're playing the 15-1 and San Francisco 49ers at Candlestick. Uh, even so, Ditka said, in hindsight, he honestly thought the defense was so great that we're going to go out there and win, and it doesn't matter if Steve Fuller's playing or not. We're going to win because we got Walter and we got this fucking defense. And as it turned out, you know, I mean, they don't even have Jerry Rice yet, but they still have got Wendell Tyler. They've got uh, 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 Roger Craig, who was so underrated, and, and Montana and Dwight Clark, and, and they beat us 23 nothing. And by the next season, when we go back out there, McMahon's back. We lose 23 nothing in the championship game. First drive in week six at Candlestick. The Bears get the kickoff. They go straight down the field and score a touchdown on the first drive, culminated after a McMahon to Willie Galt bomb that set up Walter's touchdown. So, and after that game, Ditka was so fucking happy he got a DUI mm -hmm. <laughs> on the way back home. Because, and he felt, oh, yeah, I know where you're going. I know where you wanted me to segue now. So at the end of the game, they bring McIntyre in. 
on offense. San Francisco does rubbing it in because Bill Walsh was a was a dick to Ditka, you know, and he put Guy McIntyre in on offense to play fullback. And so Ditka like always said, I I try not to be vindictive, but I fucking remembered that. So the next season, when Buddy says this rookie biscuit's too fucking fat to play getting significant time. So Ditka's like, well, what if I put his ass in against San Francisco? Then fuck it. They did that to me. I'll put our 340 pound rookie who's not getting any time in at fullback. And that led to the star, the pop culture phenomenon, as we know, is William Perry. That's right. Who was the number one draft pick, of, or I should say the first-round draft pick of the Chicago Bears that season. And Buddy Ryan called him a wasted pick because he showed up to camp late. He had a contract dispute, uh, showed up a couple of weeks before the beginning of the season, was seemingly out of shape. Uh, Buddy Ryan rode his ass, rode his ass, rode his ass, and, and Ditka actually felt sorry for William Perry, which is why he says, well, if you're not going to use him on defense, I'm going to fucking use him on offense. <laughs> and as Dan uh, beautifully uh, recalled that story of having him run and in, uh, in the running back and score that touchdown, that was incredible. And that season's draft, Reggie Phillips had an interception in Super Bowl, in the Super Bowl game. James Manister didn't really have much of a career. Uh, I think he was a wide receiver. Kevin Butler, of course, we all know Butthead and his role uh, in those years. Not a great kicker, this but is, a great yeah. team guy, right, Dan? Yeah, they all liked him. This, this is a bad draft in so many ways. Reggie Phillips, like you said, scores in Super Bowl twenty, but he's gone by like 87. Yes, now, Butler's did. there for a while. Thomas mm-hmm. Sanders was viewed as maybe Walter's replacement, but it never comes into fruition. That, of course, we're going to get Neil Anderson. But Thomas Sanders, you know, Maybe was better than what the opportunity got, but we don't know that for sure. And then Morrissey, look all the way down 11th, he hung around until Ditka was fired in 92. But again, Reggie Phillips is going to be gone quick. And who are those other names? You know, (laughs) who's Charles Bennett? Who's Steve Buxton? Who the fuck was the GM on this one? This was uh, Jerry Venisi's first, I think it was his, uh, no, this was his second draft as general manager of the Chicago Bears. And taking a kicker in the fourth round. This is a malpractice draft. That's a bullshit. (laughs) That's right. That's right. And back then, uh, uh, Ditka had earned the right to really have a big voice in the draft room, unlike with Fink's. He basically stayed out of there. Uh, uh, respect to that was his job. But when Venisi came on, Venisi was trying to mediate and try to keep Ditka happy and positive and stuff. And so maybe uh, some of those poor draft decisions were the result of Ditka and the coaching staff uh-huh. being involved. Uh-huh. I don't. Want Can you look <laughs> at the next couple just real quick? I know we need to move on, but just just the context of the '85 team. Just see part of that the drafting is kind of a part in their decline as well. Yeah. Uh, hold on. Let me uh, set that up. Cause I didn't do a graphic for that. So I'll have to um, do this. Damn. That draft was crummy. That was a bad one. So this, we're going to the 1986 draft and uh, all right. That's when they pick up uh, Neil Anderson. Let me put it up on the screen. It and it was going to be a special teamer in 86 and 87. Right. He's going to be Walter's <laughs> fullback. And a damn good special team player. Yeah, you know, well, he becomes the man in 88, is what right. I'm saying. Indeed. Okay. Vesty Jackson, solid player, but not worthy of a second-round pick. Uh, Lou Barnes is one and done. He's gone after 86. 
God, this is Ma- Maurice Douglas is there to 94, but mm-hmm. Mo again and Kozlowski uh, ends up being a spare bear. He ends up being a scab because I think he's cut here. And then mm-hmm. Koz comes uh, the spare bears and then Ditka keeps him. But for the most part, this is a bad draft too. I didn't hurt of one of these motherfuckers other than me. Right? <laughs> well, Vesti and Vesti and uh, and Mo Douglas are going to be starters in our secondary pretty quickly. Yeah, out of need more than, than, more than man, because uh, uh, Frazier blows his knee out in the Super Bowl, never plays again. Less mm-hmm. less Frazier, and then they couldn't find someone opposite Mike Richardson. Hold on, you know what? I got it. I got it. I got it. If you go back to that man. I believe in what Aldo is saying. This must have been some dick uh, concocted drafts, man. Because this was <laughs> this was some bad, bad shit right here. Somebody, I know that GM had to be better than this. This must have been him trying to uh, coddle uh, uh, Mike Dick. Because this is terrible, man. Well, the, the thing too, in Nomad, is that Jerry Venisi didn't know shit about football. He was a businessman. That's why he got the general manager role. It, it, the Bears then, uh, and Hallis is already gone. So, you know, the uh, intuition, the smarts, the wisdom that Hallis had at football, that was totally gone. Uh, Muggs Hallis had taken over, but I think he passed away by the time. 79. 79, yeah. So he was well, well, well gone. He died even before his dad did. So um, they didn't really have a good office for scouting and and accumulating talent during this era. And so not only this draft, but the next couple of drafts are pretty weak. And and you got to maybe blame Ditko. This is putting a hurting on my eyes, man. This is this year. Is really, <laughs> this well, the next year, ugly man. Next year they got uh, Harbaugh. And Ron Morris and Ron, Ron didn't stay healthy, but Ron played, he had a decent, he was okay. Yes. Harbaugh was okay, but they weren't great players with the bears. So that you're kind of going back, bringing it full circle. Mike is still able to coach his team to be 12 and four with some bad drafts here. And a lot of players gone in 88. And we're one game away from the super bowl in 88 too. And I, I will still argue if Richard Dent's not, doesn't break his leg, we go to the Super Bowl because San Francisco, we beat them in Chicago midway through the year, and they could not stop Dent. Dent hit Montana relentlessly, and without him, Sean Smith, who's drafted in the 87 draft, is playing for him, and, and he's a scrub. I hate to say it about Sean, but he's nowhere near. He's not Richard Dent. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm starting to get, you know, I, I've always been, I'm, I've always been like, why everybody hate McCaskey so bad? Why? Why does everybody give the McCaskey such a hard time? When you see shit like what Aldo just put on the screen, that shit's awful. I mean, like, worse than segregation awful. This this was some bad shit. And I see why some of the older uh, guys in our chat and our older fan base, like, like man, they don't give they don't give the McCaskies a break. They're like, you're going to have to prove to me that you motherfuckers and you got some sense into your head and you got football guys in here. And you're willing to let them have the reins, cause that shit was terrible, man. I can't over exaggerate that. And at the same time, Michael McCaskey was trying to he wanted Ditka out because he was so jealous of his popularity. For years and years and years he hated Ditka. So FA King Foster says, now nah, you get it, no man. I, I get it, Foster, man. God, I apologize to y'all, man. I've been hard on you guys too. Damn, <laughs> I, I certainly get it now, man. 
You know well, you I mean? showed 88 briefly. They had some good players there. Not great players, but some good players in the 88 draft, like Muster. Uh, was mm -hmm. it Wendell Davis? Who else was in there? Was there a couple of good uh, players there. Uh, uh, and Stenson uh, was always getting Stinson? burned. Little Lemuel Stenson. He was like 5'6", I think. How do you right. how do you go from a guy with such a great great football instincts like the guy like what was his name Finks or something what was his name the guy that was Finks that was making all those how do you go from a guy with great football instincts like that to a guy that has no fucking sense whatsoever about football and what to do with football prospects how do you do that how does that happen yeah RoboCop too. Yeah, James Thornton. Yeah, I. You know how it happens, Nomad is. Uh, they decided, let's just make some money. Let's not worry about winning. I think that that had a lot to do with it. And and frankly, none of them. You know, the McCaskies just were not football people. They uh, inherited a team from the Hallis family, and none of them really. Uh, spent time studying the game. I mean, it's a disgrace that George McCaskey. To this day, continues to say I'm I'm a fan. I don't know about any of that stuff. That's disrespectful to us, you know. For you to put put it that way, that you don't know what the fuck you're doing is what you're saying. And now here I am spending all this money on bear shit, spending all my time on bear stuff, and you're telling me that you don't fucking know. But don't you think that's a little bit of false, maybe modesty on George's part because? Unlike his predecessor, like, dude, really, dude fucking cares, man. and wants to win. Even if you don't yeah. like him, even if he doesn't feel like he's qualified or what have you, he still wants to win and he's willing to spend money. Unlike the previous regime, they didn't want to spend any money. And, and, I mean, and didn't really care because they won that Super Bowl. So they were okay just turning a profit. George wants to win. So that's why I defend him a little bit because at least he cares. He wants to win. I agree. I agree with you. George really does want to win, and he really wants to win for his mom. And I think this decision that he made to go with Poles when Poles <laughs> presented a plan to him that this is a three-year, maybe four- or five-year plan. I mean, what, what's the number one lesson we saw out of these drafts that we just studied for the 85 Super Bowl team? The number one lesson to me is it took six drafts. And there was already a foundation of players, including your best player, Walter Payton, already on the team. So it takes a while. This Ryan, what Ryan Poles is building here, I'm not saying that it can't happen in two or three years, but my experience in watching football and seeing teams develop, it usually takes several years of building a team through the draft and then maintaining, you know, having sustained success. So uh, that could be the best thing. Well, the, the best thing to expect. The only thing I can say to that, though, is in that era, you had dynasties around you. You, you had the 49er team. You had Washington, who's going to win three Super Bowls. You've got the New York Giants, who are fucking badass. And so the Bears are in the middle of all this fighting with these great teams, right? What are we? The NFC is wide open. And what I'm saying is if Fields becomes who we think he is and could get hot, I mean, like he, he could do like what Russell Wilson did with Seattle 10 years ago. You know, mm -hmm. just uh, you know, just get hot and lead. Uh, there's they don't have these dynasties around you the way they did in the '80s with these great teams. The NFC's wide open, man. It's wide well, open. Here's here's where I would bicker with Aldo about how many years it would take. This is why I, this is why I think it could be a lot shorter than a two or three year window. You know, free agency nowadays breeds a whole lot of really big contracts. That's number one. And the reason I say that is because you know, usually teams that 
that are in the window of a Super Bowl, they're willing to pay whatever to a guy that they think is the piece that they're missing or multiple guys that they think are pieces that they're missing. And that's, those same guys can fall right into free agency that following season if they don't get that Super Bowl. That's one thing. Uh, another thing is is just the the turnover of coaching and uh, schemes that turn over. So like just what happened in uh, Minnesota, they had a really good defense. They brought in a new coordinator, turned over the whole defense, and that, all of a sudden, next thing you know, they got really good players hitting the waiver wire. And teams all over the league are doing that, you know, turning over uh, defenses and offenses just because they bring in new coordinators. And and so really good players are hitting a waiver wire. And so teams are able to get better a lot quicker than they did back in back in the days when you know you had Mike Dickers and those teams had uh, uh, coaches for like seven or fucking 10 years back then. Nothing mm-hmm. changed about those teams. So things are a lot different now. And I don't think the. Uh, the window to win is, is – I think it's going to be – I think given this year, I think they're going to push it. I think it, they are. Do you think Philadelphia is so, like, dominant in any way that they're going to, like, go back to the Super Bowl automatically? I don't. Like, no. do you expect them to win 12, 13 games this year? I, I mean, it's possible, but I – I mean, and what I'm saying is the Bears could – any other team could win their division and go to that Super Bowl. If Philly's not – one of these teams that's like it's not they're not Kansas City, you know what I mean? They're not the 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 great team there. I, as I told you, like going into the Super Bowl, I couldn't believe Philly was fucking favored. I was like, you know, Kansas City's like the better team here. I don't. Th- I mean, look, Philly's good, but I'm just my point is they're not a dynasty, at least not in my opinion. So the Bears could, if they they could win the division, why not the Bears? Or why not anybody? If you're Detroit right now, you'd say if they could win the division. Like, there's no dominant team in the NFC, is my point. There's no dominant team right now. I, I think there's a couple of dominant teams. I think there are three dominant teams, and mostly I, I come from that way of thinking from defense. It would be the Cowboys, it would be the Eagles, and it would be the uh, 49ers. Um, I do believe somebody just said Desmond, 1599, the Eagles do really do draft well. They draft their asses off, and so do the 49ers. The Cowboys are more of a gambling uh, kind of draft. Jerry Jones gambles a lot, and he's not willing. He's not scared to spend in free agency, so they get better that way too. But uh, yeah, I expect uh, Philly, even though they lost a lot, um, and San Fran to definitely contend again, for sure. But you don't know who even San Francisco is going to have at quarterback. I guess Trey Lance, the kid that got hurt in the championship games, out six months. Jimmy G's gone now. I mean, you kind of don't know. And then, and then most teams, when they lose the Super Bowl the next year, they have the hangover season where they're not, you know, like the Bears in 07. They're 7 and 9 after losing in Miami uh, to the Colts. So I'm just saying, any other team, to me, it's wide open. And, and then Dallas has got Dak. And again, I don't want to set it and say Dak sucks, but I mean, <laughs> but Dak doesn't win playoff games. If, well, if Dak was a Bear and we just every year we're losing with him, we would eviscerate Dak. Prescott, the way they lose all the time with them in Dallas. Well, then look at it this way. Sometimes you have teams that are just that good defensively. Like, you you may want to argue this point, but think about the 85 Bears. I don't give a fuck what dude you put back there, quarterback, so long as he was efficient. It wouldn't have mattered. That team was that good defensively. They were going to fucking steamroll you. They were going to run you over. 
and they have that kind of defense and not saying exactly that good of a defense, but they have a similar uh, uh, type of defense as that dominant. The 49ers are going to be right there. And if they fuck around and get a quarterback, watch out. I'm not, I'm not contradicting. I'm just saying to me, because their quarterback, and again, I, I wasn't so unimpressed with Lance in the game against the Bears like everybody else seemed to. I thought he did okay given all that fucking rain and stuff. And then he gets hurt. I mean, maybe he ends up being a good player too. I don't know. I'm just saying, but right now they don't have that quarterback, that definitive leader. And so I I think it's open, man. I just think it's open for a team like the Bears uh, that could just get hot is my point. And with regards to the 80s teams, everyone can always say, oh, well, Jim McMahon, you know, anyone could do it. But no, anyone couldn't do it. Doug Flutie couldn't do it. Steve Fuller couldn't do it. Jim Harbaugh couldn't do it. Uh, these t- All these players lost with great defenses. McMahon went to the Super Bowl and won it with the other players didn't. So can't take that away from Jim either. Great conversation, guys. Uh, we're going to uh, pause here for a moment of... Where the fuck's Santucci at? <laughs> exactly. I wish I had a good line for that. For a moment of uh, prayer. Bliss. No. <laughs> moment of bliss. All right. I can never find his fucking open, but Dustin... Surprise, motherfucker. Oh, look at that. Where the fuck is your open? State of affairs. Oh, here it is. There he is. His name is Johnny Santucci. How are you, sweetheart? Hey, everybody. <laughs> Whoa, ready for some Bear State Affairs? Love the uh, the old past draft uh, talk. Yeah, wasn't that fascinating? Yeah, Nomad was blown away. I was like pulling teeth. I hated it. <laughs> Nomad was getting edumacated there. Oh, yeah. It was fun. I hear you, man. You know, uh, it, it's it's one of those things. You got to get lucky, you know, it, it, because – and maybe we'll have time to look at the next Super Bowl year uh, later in the show, and if we don't, we'll definitely do it next week. But when I was studying the Greg Gabriel drafts, he drafted some good players who just, because out of pure bad luck, didn't pan out. When you draft the Mark Colombo in the first round, he's a six foot eight, nimble footed uh, offensive tackle from Boston College. You think, all right, we're set. We're set at that tackle position for the next 10 years. But then he gets hurt, and then he doesn't fucking fully recover from his injuries until four years later when we drop him. You know, that's fucking bad luck. <laughs> there was like so. half the team got hurt at the University of Illinois in Champaign mm-hmm. that year. Ever There was catastrophic injuries on that shitty-ass field. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Anyway, this is uh, the Tooch's moment. Tooch, why don't you take it away with your state of affairs? All right. Bears state of affairs. Week 12. Bears state of affairs brought to you by Ron Morris's red rubber gloves tonight. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's happening, Fireflies? Well, the 2023 draft is fast approaching. Bears fans across the country are logging on to mock draft generators and doing their 1,012 11th mock draft as we speak. From Bearlissimo to Cliff Victoria, from Nomad to Swanky, Bears fans are doing one mock draft per hour on average so that after the draft is over, they can find the mock draft that most closely matches the Bears' actual draft. Uh, 
and gets Bear's street cred. Even Mr. Scrody is getting in on the action. Yep, last week, the Bears were rumored to be drafting Jalen Carter with the number nine overall pick, and a few days ago, it was Jackson Smith and Yigba. Or maybe it was Paris Johnson. Today, it's Darnell Wright. Mel Kuyper Jr., Mr. Mock Draft himself, has the Bears taken the big offensive tackle from Tennessee at number nine. And the Catman stated that the Bears have been doing big-time homework on Darnell Wright. But the fact remains that no matter how many mock drafts our flies do, there really is zero chance to match the unpredictable Mr. Ryan Poles. As Barflies well know, this guy loves to trade picks, and it is well within the possibility of Poles trading back from pick number nine. In fact, according to reports that came out just this very day, it appears that the Steelers might be looking to trade for the Bears' number nine overall pick. Sure thing, how about giving us back that number 32 overall pick that we traded you for Chase Claypool? In any case, the fact remains that the Bears are in much better hands with Ryan Pace, with Ryan Poles. Yes. Remember, the Bears had no first round picks in 2019, 2020, or 2022, and no third round picks in 2017, 2018, 2020, and 2022. Thanks to Ryan Pace. How are we supposed to build a competitive team when we were so severely crippled under that blockhead pace? especially when we annually have so many holes to fill. Enter Ryan Poles, savior of the Bears franchise. He's already made a big, satisfying splash in free agency this offseason. As we approach the draft, many Bears fans are wondering, will Poles add more free agents? As it stands, the Bears' free agent, biggest free agent remaining needs are edge rusher, defensive tackle, offensive tackle, cornerback, and center. So Mr. Poles goes out today and he signs a punter. Bit of a letdown. <laughs> Anyways, it seems unlikely that Poles will make any big moves in free agency before the draft other than signing some of his own free agents. Yep, it seems. Most likely Bears free agents to return are DeAndre Houston Carson, Joe Thomas, and yeah, you guessed it, Sam Mustafer. The current, oh. Char the current Charles Leno of the Bears' offensive line. Well, DHC and Thomas both provide the Bears the quality depth and core special teams play. Mustafer, well, his biggest asset is availability. Like it or not, it looks like Mustafer might be back for Bears fans to kick around for another year. And it wouldn't be Bears' state of affairs without checking in on Bears fan Dan's favorite quarterback appendage, Aaron Rodgers. I would be willing to suck Aaron Rodgers' dick. Sorry. Right. Remember the last time we saw Rodgers was right before he went on his darkness retreat and emerged with the cockamamie scheme to go play for the New York Jets. The Bears, the Packers wouldn't say whether the team is waiting for the New York Jets to accept its trade proposal for Aaron Rodgers, or if it's the other way around. Either way, there was no sign of an imminent deal nearly a month after Rodgers announced his desire to change teams. Jets general manager Joe Douglas is so confident that a deal will eventually get done that he promised fans on Friday that Rodgers will definitely be making his way to New York at some point. One thing Bears fans know for sure is that if Aaron Rodgers leaves for the Jets, the Packers will definitely be in rebuilding mode. And that is Bears' state of affairs! 
You ever read you ever read your kids' bedtime stories? Oh yeah, all the time. I read them the nomad the, the nomad story last night. Yep. You ever you missing any silverware, any knives, anything? <laughs> <laughs> they probably got it all, giggity, all giggity. the time. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> they gonna stab your ass. <laughs> Hey, what do you all think about the guy that the Bears signed last week, the Rasheem Green? He's a big fucking man. Yep. Yeah, he's a guy that's, that's going to help immediately. He Right now, if he would have been playing in last year's team, he would have been the best pass rusher on the team, I think. I really do. He's 6'4", 80. You talking about Rasheem Green? Yeah, he's a big guy is what I was saying. It's, on paper, it looks like a good acquisition. It's uh, fits, the, fits the mold that Eberflus likes. He's probably going to play on the right side mm-hmm. and over the, uh, yeah, on the right side. And, uh, yeah, he's going to be a great rotational piece. I'm pretty sure they're bringing these guys in, telling them that, hey, we're going to give you a chance to uh, compete for a job. So you know they're going to be going 100 miles an hour. He seems to be a player that's ascending, and that seems like that's they're looking for players that are ascending in their careers. He's only 25 years old. Been on a couple of teams already. He's got what it takes to put in some solid work with the Bears. I guarantee we won't be the uh, the team with the least sacks in the league this year and led by our, our, our strong safety in sacks. We're going to get guys that can get pressure on the ball, and he's going to be a part of that. He's going to be in the rotation. I can't say that he's going to be a starter. I seriously doubt he's going to be the starter, but if he is, I would not be mad. Yeah, and I think that there's a, you know, I agree with Tooch that you, you, we're not going to see any major free agent signings, uh, uh, you know, until after the draft because it's what then when teams are going to say, okay, this is what we were able to acquire, so we're going to release this guy, uh, or we weren't able to acquire this position need, so we need to sign this guy. The agents are waiting for that market price to be set after the draft and uh and hopefully a guy like Yannick Nduke could be available to add to that outside pass rushing if we don't land a really good outside pass rusher so it's 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 going to be some you know really interesting to watch post draft some of these free agents uh so it's not just the draft that's ahead of us in terms of a big thing from for building the roster it's these free agents that are going to have uh, be available after the draft um you, go ahead nomad uh, no, I was just going to say really quick, I'm just looking forward to the competition at the edge spot for, for all these guys. I, don't wanna, I just want to see guys push each other, bring some new life into here, some new blood, some guys that can really get after it. And some of those guys that we were complaining about all year, maybe they stepped their game up. Who knows? But I know one thing, competition brings out the best in everybody. So let's mm-hmm. see. What is this? Hey, man, you got a piece of corn on your face? <laughs> what the Who's that? <laughs> Me? <laughs> know, man. Um, all right. Uh, you guys want to take a quick look at the draft that built the uh, 2006 Super Bowl? I, I didn't do individual cards uh, for them. I, I plastered them because I, I ran out of time. But here it is. Uh, and in fact, if you guys can talk about this, I need to take a quick whiz. Uh, but here are Where the ones. 2000? Yeah, with Erlacher. Yeah, Mike with Brown. Take it away, Dan Aguirre. Man, I loved I loved Des White. God, Des White made some good catches for the Bears. I yeah, after his four years, we let him walk. I think he went to Atlanta. But yeah, obviously Urlacher's Hall of Fame. Mike Brown would have been Hall of Fame had he not gotten hurt. Man's all fucking heart. 
great player. Uh, we had a bust there with David Terrell. Loved Anthony Thomas, I guess, just because of the change in offense. We decided that A-Train had to go, despite being NFC Rookie of the Year in 01. And then, man, that's when it looks bad. Like, Roosevelt Williams was like, there was a play in 2002 against the Packers where Roosevelt Williams had the ball in open field, and he was slower than I am. I really believe that to be true and didn't score. It was awful. Uh, 02, you got Colombo not doing well. Roosevelt Williams, horrible. Terrence Metcalf was okay. Alex Brown was solid. Bobby Gray was okay. Brian Knight's kind of gone. Adrian Peterson, sneaky backup for us for a long time. Um, and then, look, in 03, Michael Haynes is a bust. I liked Rex, but he led us to a Super Bowl. But, again, he's not a great player. You got a great one in Tillman and Briggs. Hey, hey Dan, when did, when did Lovey get into the fold? Lovey's first year is 04. Okay. And that's when uh, they immediately signed Thomas Jones. And I thought at the time, man, you could have A-Train and, and Thomas Jones in the same backfield. That would be dynamic. Because you don't know, or even later with Benson and, and Jones, they didn't do a lot of that. Uh, but um, yeah, 03, you got that disappointing Michael Haynes and Rex. And then, like I said, Tillman and Briggs are solid as shit, though. Uh, Bobby Wade, loudmouth fuck. I hated Bobby Wade. He's one of the guys that was trolling Jay when we traded for him. Then you got Tommy. Tommy Harris, great pick, but he got hurt. Tank Johnson couldn't stop buying like a, a fucking assault weapons. Uh, Bernard Berrien, very, very good wide receiver. We let him walk and go to Minnesota. I hated that. Nathan Vasher was solid, and then he got paid, and then he was never the same. And then, uh, see, Benson, obviously, the late Cedric Benson, not a good player for us. Mark Bradley got hurt. And was never the same again. KO did okay in his role. Not a great player. Chris Harris, very good player. And we let him walk after the after the Super Bowl for fuck knows what reason. And, and then we bring him back in 2010. Daniel Manning, okay. Not worthy of the top pick. Devin Hester, we know how great he was. Dusty Dvorak, out of the league by one year. Mark Anderson had one great year. J.D. Runnels, I mean, was gone after the Super Bowl. I don't even remember who Jamar Williams didn't play that well. I don't even remember who Tyler Reed was. I don't know if he made the team or not. But that that I will tell you the truth. That 2004 season is what really. I don't know why exactly. I think I just had a bunch of shit going on from 2000 to 2003, and I just wasn't tied in. But for some reason, 2004 that season really piqued my interest. That draft was really good. That was a really good draft. Um, and this the draft right after that, I still that that Cedric Benson draft. I don't that that actually irritates me just looking at it, you know. It just irritates me looking at that. What you you could have had for drafting a number of running back number one with the knees, you could have got a lot. But uh that 2004 season really I started really getting a little bit tied back into the Bears organization, but I, it really peaked in 2006. It might sound like, okay, yeah, right, no, man, you didn't pay no attention. To, no, I really didn't. 2006, it was something about that year in that draft when they got Devin Hester. I was all over that draft. I was like, they just got the pretty much the most explosive player in the draft. And when and I was there at that camp and I watched them and I was just like, oh my God, these motherfuckers, they're pretty good 
and everywhere, everywhere else on the field, offense, defense, they're decent. This dude is going to change the game. And I was telling everybody in my family about it. And shit, I had people buying me Devin Hester. I never buy jerseys. People bought me Devin Hester jerseys. That's how serious I was about this pick. But I had to go on that little rant. But if Mike Brown and Tommy Harris don't get hurt, there's no way we lose to the Colts. No way. With Tommy up front and Mike Brown in the secondary, those two injuries, uh, I guess, appear to be too much to overcome with Rex playing uh, a, a, a shitty Super Bowl. There's no other way to say it. I like Grossman, but he struggled in that rain. And I'll forever, and we asked Thomas Jones, I'll forever say maybe if they bring Greasy into the third quarter, maybe we win the game. Because uh, it's still 22-17 to 17 in the fourth quarter. And Rex mm-hmm. gets picked off by uh, Hayden, who would later be a bear. And then that's that, man. Kelvin Hayden, uh, it's... But yeah, that it's interesting though. I, like I said, the sleeper picks on there that I liked, I really liked Des White, and I loved Bernard Barry, and and we kind of let both of those just guys just go away after their first contract. I loved Anthony Thomas again. We just stopped using him and just let him go. And then the same thing we have Thomas Jones, like Tooch was saying, like why do we draft Cedric Benson there? But they said that was Lovey who was insisting on that. Yeah, uh, Greg Gabriel shared that story here on the Barroom Network, and uh, it made some news. He uh, uh, said that you know they they weren't particularly going to go with a running back because they had just invested in Thomas Jones, who came off a good season. But it was Lovey that was insistent that he wanted a running back like Cedric Benson, uh, and so who knows what would have happened. But I, I wish you know it, it, what. What really bugs me is that that entire draft, other than Kyle Orton, who I really kind of liked, despite the fact he was just a good backup. I liked him as a good as a backup. But everybody else in that draft was like, what are you thinking here, man? No, Chris Harris was good. Like Chris Harris. Yeah, Chris oh, yes, Harris you're right. was good. You're yeah. right. And you're we right. let him go after the Super Bowl. We traded him to Carolina for nothing. Yeah. It just, yeah. you know, we brought him back in 2010. He wasn't the same guy by that point. And uh, again, but Mark Bradley, one of those guys who started out really well in 05 and then got hurt and was never the same again. So you never know how good Bradley could have been uh, had he not gotten injured. Yep. But three they, DBs, you, real quick, all oh, there was three DBs. Oh, that's right. Three, three DBs from 04 to 06 that I really liked. I really thought highly of Nathan Vasher, Chris Harris, and yep. Daniel Manning. Uh, those, those three. I, those were lovey picks, I'm pretty sure. Absolutely. But those guys had really high upside. Most of they pretty much performed to what you thought they were going to be. Maybe uh, I think Vasher overperformed, to be honest with you. Well, now after he got paid, though, if you look, he and Tillman came up at the same time in terms of their contracts, and then and he never did anything after he got paid. Uh, now, he was the, the interceptor is what they called him before he. Uh, before he signed his second contract, he got paid, and then suddenly I don't know if he got lazy or what. But man, I liked him too. I mean, I like. I mean, I'd like Nate Vasher, but he just didn't play well after he got paid. I mean, I'm just I'm just keeping it real with you. Yeah, and you know the the thing is that I don't want to make it seem like you know Lovey Smith screwed up that 2005 draft because he goes in in two, a year before he says I need a three tech. Let me tell you what the three tech does. And this Tommy Harris kid would be the perfect three-tech. And so they go out and get him. And, and 
Tank Johnson wasn't that bad. And, you know, the rest of that draft, as you mentioned with Nathan Vasher, that's I love a good Berrien. That's, that, oh, my gosh. Yes. I love Bernard Berrien. I mean, he was our deep guy, and we just let him walk to Minnesota. I mean, I know he got a pretty good deal up there. Uh, and But still, like, they could have franchised him. They could have kept him. Mm-hmm. I love Berrien. And then Berrien had a 99-yard touchdown against us, of course, with, like, fucking Gus Farratt playing quarterback. As soon as he goes to the Metrodome, he's he's ninety nine yard touchdowns. Us, of course, he is. No, Scott, are you guys, I'm sorry, you guys probably talked about this earlier, but what did you think about the Rex Grossman uh, draft pick? I let, I let Darren Rex is twenty one and fourteen as a starter and took us to a Super Bowl. So, and you can say, oh well, uh, he didn't do this or didn't do that, but in the Seattle game, it was tied. In overtime, I think 24-all, and he hit Rasheed Davis on a big third down. He stood up in the pocket and hit him on a seam route right down the middle. It set up Robbie's field goal to beat Seattle in the playoffs. And then after they had a big lead against the Saints in the championship game, New Orleans came back, and then Rex went 5-for-5 five five on a drive, culminating in a touchdown to Berrien that sort of put them away. So in both games, he played well in those playoffs up, up until the Super Bowl where he just, you know, he, di- he didn't do that well. But in 04, he, he was looking good and got hurt. And in 05, he got hurt in the preseason and then came back with, like, fire at the end of the season. He, he beat Green Bay at Lambeau on Christmas night to clinch the division championship. I mean, fuck, I'd love to see some shit like that now. So, I mean, Rex had his moments. I mean, he didn't deserve the vitriol he got. I remember his sister got uh, someone brandished a firearm on her and allegedly robbed her because of just their disdain uh, because she was Rex's sister. <laughs> yes. Okay. okay. I, I'm going to take a – I'll take this because this is what I really believe about Rex Grossman. I think Rex Grossman is an above-average quarterback. Not, ex, not great, not excellent. But what he was was sufficient. I, I still believe to this day that Super Bowl, minus that rain slowing down that defense, I think Rex Grossman is a Super Bowl winner. And we're having Especially if Mike Brown and Tommy are there. Exactly. Yeah. There's some things that did not go our way, injuries, and the rain really slowed down the speed of that defense. And they just couldn't stop the run. I mean, they were getting pushed back. I can make excuses for that 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 team, and I'd be accurate with saying that. But I think if Rex Grossman had won that Super Bowl, he'd be on the same level as where we think we what we think of Jim McMahon. He'd be on the same level, but he didn't, and everybody can just sit back and pick him apart right now. But I think he was an above average quarterback. I didn't hate him. I wasn't that mad at him. I mean. I don't feel the same way Bears fans feel about it. I agree. I don't know. I wouldn't put him with McMahon, but I agree with you. And I thought he was head and shoulders above Kyle Orton. And I never understood when they pull the plug on Rex and and then they say, okay, Greasy didn't work out. And then 08, they're like, okay, we've got Rex and Kyle, but we're just giving the job to Kyle. And I I just didn't understand that. Again, we in 08, people may forget it was week 17, Bears at Texans. If the Bear it's ironic because love you to go to the Texans, but the winner, if the Bears win the playoff, uh, win that game, they make the playoffs, and Kyle goes out there and just shits the bed. And I was the whole time thinking, man, if Rex is in there, maybe we win. I remember I was at a game in Charlotte that year 
at the end of the game, there's a chance for them to win. And Marty Booker, who had just come back from Miami, is wide open down the field, and KO can't fucking hit him. Kyle Orton throws a duck like two, three yards that falls short when he had a wide open touchdown to Booker to win the game. Couldn't make the throw. I was like, God damn, why does everybody love this fucking guy? Him and his nasty ass beard. I, I just didn't. I was so glad he was a part of the Cutler trade and get his ass out of here. Mr. Screen Pass. I can't throw the ball downfield. I fucking hated Kyle Orton. So overrated. All caps. Overrated. That really sums up the, the this the series of drafts. You know, it was a lot of hits on defense. You know, you look at 2000, Erlocker, Mike Brown, and then you've got, you know, uh, uh, the Tillman Briggs draft. And when you get to the offensive picks, you know, it's just the, the, the misses kind of, uh, you know, led to kind of the, the, the uh, not being able to keep up with the Colts in the, uh, in the uh, uh, Super Bowl. But uh, Nomad nails, I agree with him about Grossman and the rain. Uh, and I, I love when they first drafted Grossman, I was like, finally, we, we spend the high draft pick on a quarterback, you know, and for a long time, Bears fans uh, not investing in the quarterback positions in the draft uh, was uh, a, a bit of a relief. But as far as Grossman, I, I, I can't stop thinking about that, that sound bite from the Colts players saying this guy is scared to death. You know, whatever out there or whatever. I don't know if anybody remembers that about the the, the Colts talking about Rex Grossman. Yeah, you know, and uh, he probably uh, was. It, I didn't hate Shane Matthews, by the way. The the guy Desmond, like Shane Shane had two really excellent comeback wins for us. Don't forget, no one against San Francisco and Cleveland back to back at Soldier Field. Shane Matthews is a quarterback in both of those games because Jim Miller got hurt in the Niner game, and they're down twenty eight to nine, and then I think thirty one nine. And then come back to win with an interception by Mike Brown. And the next week against Cleveland, they're down 21 to 7 with 32 seconds to go. And we come back and tie it at 21 with James Allen on the Hail Mary from Shane Matthews. And Mike Brown does it again the next week with a pick six on Tim Couch. Fucking love those games. Uh, yeah. So I give Shane some love, even though he went to prison later. But I, I love Mike Brown. I fucking love Mike Brown. Yeah. What'd you say, Tooch? You said there were, there were talks about uh, people were saying that. Um... Who'd you say it was? It was Orton or uh, uh, Grossman in the Super Bowl? Yeah, the, the, Col the Colts players. That the sound, but I, I don't know whether they played it. During, I think it was after after the game was over, if I remember. The, oh, yeah. uh, the sound bites of uh, the Colts players. Saying, if you heard guys, it, it was it was real. It was yeah. real. They they were telling you in real time. This motherfucker out here, he's nervous and he's scared. Yeah, players read that shit. Yeah, we had Thomas Jones on the network, and uh, and I asked Aldo to play a – well, Aldo pay, played my, my actual question. And I said, what do you think if Greasy would have come in in the, second, in the second half? He didn't necessarily acknowledge the part with Greasy, but he said that the Super Bowl, although he liked Rex, was too big for Rex. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. exactly what he said. And it, it, it was like he was trying to be very diplomatic – he talked for about min a minute, but finally he got there. That was like his last sentence. Yeah, I, I guess I do think that, you know, the game was too big for Rex. 
So yes. clearly everybody else on the team saw that. But when I spoke with Alex Brown, uh, Tuch and I and uh, Joe Mandel were at Soldier Field for a fantasy football draft, and Alex Brown was part of the uh, Chicago Tribune that was we hosting. Couldn't get rid of him. <laughs> couldn't get forever. rid of him. He stayed forever he, in our suite. He did. No, he did say he to us great. that. He did say to us that he thought it was the defense's fault. We did not stop yeah. the run. You, you know, Surprising. you can't blame anything else. But and Dominic Rhodes, they yeah. just. The Peyton Manning got MVP just because of his fucking reputation again. He had that one play. I think he beat Daniel Manning to Reggie Wayne early in the game. It was a deep pass. But other than that, he was checked down Charlie the whole game. They Peyton didn't do anything. We couldn't stop those two backs. Rhodes and Adair, yep. or, or, uh, Adai, Adai, rather. Yep. I, was, I remember yeah, playing in a game like that. I remember playing in a game like that, and we had one of the better defenses in the country when I was playing. And we had we had that one game, man. And we had, I mean, our defensive line was really, really stout. But we was we were a speed four three defense, just like most base four three defenses are. It's about it starts up front, and that's the engine of your defense. And if your uh, uh, front four can't get penetration and can't get up field because it's soggy and the, and the offensive linemen are getting leverage, they're getting to you before you're getting to them, and they're able to push you back that neutralizes your defense. And that's, to me, I will say this one more time, that's why we lost. The linemen were getting pushed backwards. They weren't getting penetration and getting in the backfield and stopping the run before it happened. And so that's why we lost. It, uh, You know what? That season, as the season wore on, I saw the injuries start to pile up at the defense. I said to myself, there's no way we're going to make it to the Super Bowl. So when we beat the Saints, that was one of the happiest days of my life because it was uh, – I truly didn't expect us to make it to the Super Bowl that game. And even when that Super Bowl game, before it started, I still had a lot of fucking doubts that we were going to win that game against Peyton Manning. I just – I don't know, man. All these injuries. When Devin defense, returned that kick – all of a sudden, I'm like, yeah, we're going to fucking win this. And then what happens? <laughs> yeah, when Devin is still the only time in the history of the Super Bowl to start the game with the, the kickoff return touchdown. When Devin returns that kick, I'm thinking, man, we are a team of fucking destiny. Mm-hmm. This is unbelievable. Like, I feel like I'm, you know, I'm a Joniak. You, know, you are ridiculous. You know, it just it seems like it's going to be us, man. And then we had a 14 to 6 lead. Muhammad caught a touchdown. And we were up 14-6, and, and like I said, only down 22-17 in the fourth. So they had a shot. I, I, I honestly believe if they put Greasy in, we win. Because Rex just was struggling in that rain. And they, you know, Benson got hurt, and then they're just keying on Thomas Jones and knowing that Rex can't beat him. You bring Greasy in there, and then you shake shit up, man. I mean, that's my opinion. Mm-hmm. I'm one of those people that believes the Super Bowl to be played every Super Bowl to be played in a neutral setting where the, you know what the weather's going to be, so it should be played in a in a dome. And so that way you don't have weather altering what that what the true outcome of a game could be. I just, you know, you have your traditionalists, oh, we need to have it in a regular, I don't want to hear that bullshit. I want to see the best two teams in neutral conditions go head-to-head and get at it. I don't want no fucking excuses after that game. And so I've I've been holding that in me since 2006, and I know for a fact that that rain cost us the Super Bowl. And so that's why I feel that way. As soon as I saw it that day, 
I was like, oh no, it's fucking raining. It's in Florida. Of course it's raining. Of course it's raining. Fuck but I Florida. It was an advantage for us because now we, we took the passing game away from Manny. I thought, I thought, hey, this is good. We got a better running team, but no, the fucking Bears defense couldn't hold the Colts running game. That was the big shocker of that game. You know, I, I, the rain bothered me only because, you know, the players can't play it like Nomad would say. The players can't play at their optimum. But from an advantage standpoint, I thought this is closer thing, the closest we can get to bear weather down in Miami. And the, the, I got to get ready to go. But another point that I want to make, and I've said this before, it's too bad people forget Lovey is technically the first African-American coach to make it to the Super Bowl. We played first. Mm-hmm. So, but no one remembers that because Tony Dungy won. And it's so shitty because Dungy's such a terrible person and just such a fucking homophobe and a bigot and just an asshole, man. And like he's self-righteous and puts himself on the fucking cross. Tony Dungy's such an asshole. And it's like if he doesn't beat Lovey that day, Lovey's one that gets revered. And I don't know how great or or not great Lovey is in his personal life, but I always had an affinity for Lovey. So I, yeah, I would love to for lovey to get some of that that credit that dungy gets despite being such a shitty person i agree with you man lovey is a great guy and uh we got the number one draft pick because of lovey i'm forever going to be indebted i really do think we need to do something special for lovey you know lovey t-shirts somebody's got lovey t-shirts out but maybe we can come up with something more creative if we get a a new stadium in your neck of the woods (laughs) as they say they should put a ring of honor up and Lovey definitely should be re- like his, he should be retired and revered in the stadium. Yep. Can, can I, can I ask you guys a question and somebody can go on Google and look our, mm-hmm. our front four on defense, that Super Bowl versus the front four front five of uh, Indianapolis guarantee you we were outweighed by at least 30 pounds. Each player. When you, when you talk about the laws of physics, I mean, in a in a neutral, in an abnormal setting, the heavier guys are going to win. That's when having a light defensive line fucking killed us. We didn't have fat boys in that in that game. We had a bunch of light, fast, really fast guys that were neutralized in the ring. And that's why we lost against bigger guys. Um, Unfortunately, I got to go, guys. I'm sorry. Good show. It was fun. Really fun. Dan Aguirre, go save some lives. We, uh, man, this was a fun fucking show, Dan. And, and your memory yeah. recall really was uh, phenomenal. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll talk to you very soon. Okay, brother. Yes, sir. Be well. Thank you, everybody. All right. Take care, man. Thank you. That, that is the great Dan Aguirre yeah. on his way to save awesome. lives at his other job. The chat he, room he, uh, loved the uh, me- uh, memory lane trip there. Yeah, he uh, he's a broadcaster down in West Virginia, and I think for six out of the last seven years, he's won a major broadcasting award there. And he just shared with me uh, recently the tape that he is submitting to the Academy for their vote. And fuck, just listen to the first 25 seconds of it. And you're like, yeah, this guy's the winner, <laughs> hands down. I know he's going to win again, so yeah. uh, good for him. All right, guys, uh, hey, Tuch, can you stick around for a little while, while while we go to overtime? Yeah, why not? Oh, God, I love you. Yeah, I've uh, uh, been having some, uh, uh, like, 
I don't know. Another, it'll be another winning day today. I'm gonna have like ten winning days in a row. It's like I'm on a hot streak right now with uh, look at you picks. So to, tonight was uh, oh, <laughs> I was like I had the Rangers minus one and a half uh, Texas. It goes to extra innings because Kansas City ties it up, and then a three run homer in the bottom of the tap to cover the spread. Boom. Just like when you're rolling, you know, it's been good, but uh, it, it's, it, you know, you always need yeah. a little luck in any aspect of life and gambling more so than others. All right. This is. Yeah. Oh, All right. Oh, go get one. <laughs> And I are replacing Nomad, or excuse me, the Mr. Shorty here. And uh, Nomad and I are going to present some underdogs that we think, you know, sleepers that we'd like to see maybe the Bears target uh, in day three. And in Tooch, uh, please yeah. comment on any of these players. And if you've got any got, players, that I'll you give want you a few add. also. You know, I got a Excellent. couple if you, if you want, you know. Excellent. Okay, let me start with Nomad first. What I asked Nomad to do is, uh, you know, give me one for every round. So a fourth round uh, pick that you might consider to be a, a, a sleeper. Who do you got, Nomad? Who you got? I got Ja'Cory and Bennett. Tell me why you like this long-armed cover yeah. man from Maryland. I always say. I don't go looking at these videos and looking at these games with my own thoughts in mind. I think about what the coach wants, what the GM is saying they want. They have a track record of what they like. They like rangy guys that are really quick, really fast. And this guy's yep. you you're basically looking at uh, Kenny Moore. This dude's blazing fast. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And he's really strong. He, he's, he's about 5'11". Probably about 195. Man, he's got everything you want. And guess what? His fucking coach is our defensive backs coach right now. That's right. Exactly. Chris Hoke, I believe his name is. Uh... Is that his name? I was trying to think of it all game, all day. But, yeah, this dude has it all, man. He's a leader. He's fucking mm -hmm. ferocious. I mean, I, there's if there's a, a, a nickel in the draft that I would put up higher – then uh, I, I think everybody likes DJ Turner, but I would put this guy probably a grade higher than him in as far as what Eberflus would probably like because he's longer. Mm -hmm. he's, he's a little bit heavier, and I think he can play well in the nickel. And you basically, you're playing the nickel in this defense. You're playing a substitute linebacker at times. So this guy has it all. And so if he ends up on the Bears, I would not be surprised at all. Yeah, he's special. And you, uh, you asked me to pull this uh, video of uh, Mr. Bennett at a press conference. Tell me why. This dude's Oops. arms are he, – he's elite. His arms are different, man. For a guy that of that stature, his arms – look at that. Mm -hmm. Look at that. that. The gun show is, is starting right now. This dude right here, I'm telling you. You, you know, this is telling you one thing. You, you're seeing how strong he is and how – longest arms are but if you listen to the guys that that are around him and they talk about him you know right now you're getting a special kind of player he's a leader i heard that even at the senior bowl they voted him as the leader down there yep. did you hear anything like that uh aldo yeah i did indeed and uh uh at the senior bowl there was a lot of buzz about him and it, uh 
Greg Gabriel is friends with one of the Maryland coaches, and the Maryland coach spoke so highly of of Bennett, and uh, both Maryland cornerbacks are going to go high in this draft. Uh, Bennett might even not even be there in the fourth round where you targeted him. I, 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 you know, I've seen reports that he could go as early as day, day three, and then I've seen some mocks where he's down around round six and stuff. I think fourth round is a good place to target him, Nomad, like yep. you had, and uh, he comes with that pedigree where – Defensive back coaches uh, really like him, and and the fact that his defensive uh, uh, coordinator is now uh, from Maryland is now with the Bear staff is is probably a a sign that we could be close to acquiring this guy. Although part of my process and watching and studying these guys, it it goes from the game film, it goes into interviews and listening to other guys saying whatever. I'm trying to find anything I can find about mm-hmm. these guys. I'm just not your average Bears content person. I really put work into this shit, man. I'm telling you, guys rave about this cat. He is a ferocious leader. We've got his DB coach. You think that motherfucker ain't standing on the table saying, hey, I don't care what Ron you got to get him here. Get him here. Telling Mm -hmm. you, you watch the tape and you watch enough games and listen to people talk about him. Everything you want in the nickel is right there. Love the guy. It's a great pick. All right, uh, Tooch, tell me who you might uh, like to see the Bears target, kind of a sleeper type in the fourth round. Well, I, I love, I, I've had Ja'Cory Bennett drafted a bunch of times in mock drafts. I, I'm right there with Nomad. I mean, uh, this is a dude that I, some of the chat room says, this dude challenges, you know, the ball at, with, at the point with the receiver. So you got to love that, the playmaking skill. And let, let's, let's face it, uh, people may not, think that cornerback is a need for the Bears, but it is. I'm telling you, uh, if we don't get a cornerback in the first round or maybe the second round, but uh, this guy would be great as a later round traffic. I mean, nickel is so important right now. It's, nickel's almost a new base defense in the NFL with all the passing games, but cornerback uh, is a huge need. I've said this for a long time, you know, cornerback, uh, Offensive tackle, defensive tackle, edge. Those four, not only are they premium positions when you're drafting in the draft, you know, meaning that in the first round, those are the, those are, you know, also quarter, quarterback. We don't need a quarterback this year. So those four positions are, are, are positions that teams target in the first round. So it wouldn't surprise me if the Bears took a cornerback in the first round. I don't think they will now with all this offensive tackle and three technique uh, talk coming in but I also uh um like uh uh running back in the later drafts too as well i, I like this kid from pittsburgh israel abanaconda i don't know if nomad knows this kid but uh oh yeah he does he loves that for, guy are you kidding me for a nice <laughs> I know, uh i know his mama shit. Third, third, third down <laughs> a guy that could come in on third down and, and you know uh move the sticks and stuff i love this kid <laughs> Uh, and, and another cornerback I'd mentioned, Miles Brooks, out of, uh, the corner, uh, cornerback out of Louisiana Tech, who's also blazing fast, got some size. I think he's over six feet, kind of built like uh, uh, Charles Tillman. But uh, uh, I'd rather have Bennett from Maryland. That dude's a football player. It's a good pick. It's a good pick. Yep. I like him too. Um, all right. Moro Ojoma is my target in the fourth round. And I know a lot of people saying, but although he's yep. not a scheme fit, this guy is more of a three, four guy. You know what? This guy has got talent to play that three tech 
and also have the has the versatility, I think, to play up and down that defensive line. He's a four-year starter out of Texas. Uh, the he's only 21 years old. He lined up as nose tackle as a freshman, then moved outside to the edge. This guy has was has the longest arms, measured longest arms in at the combine of any defensive tackle. Then you know if you, if you follow Greg Gabriel at all, you know how important yeah. it is to have long arms. Uh, and so this guy is already uh, able to stop the run. A major concern with the Chicago Bears defense, he can come in and be a, an immediate run stopper. Plus, he's got pass rushing skills. Um, I have somewhere. Let me see if I can find this. I have. Uh, this is somewhere. a great story too. It came from Africa. Uh, mm-hmm. hasn't played a lot of football, but it's just a great Nigeria. story. Great kid. Yeah. Yep. Um, I've got a little tape on him that I found on the Twitter machine that's got all the highlight uh, stuff. So take a look at what this guy does here. Let me uh, go back here. He's on the outside on the right, number 98. He's playing the defensive end position. He's going to take that left offensive tackle and drive him all the way back to the quarterback. Just, uh, 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 give me heat. Give me that shit. You ain't going nowhere. That's what I want in my defensive line. How many times did you see a defensive lineman do that for the Chicago Bears last season? You didn't. You didn't see it. Look at him again. Again, this guy's a defensive tackle playing the outside. He shows you that versatility. It's going to take that left a hand tackle with that hand, that left hand, just single-handedly pushing him back to the quarterback. Look at him again here uh, with the lateral movement. This is something that he has been uh, uh, criticized for, but when I look at tape, no, I'm not, I'm not looking at every play, so I, I, I can't honestly say that he's a great lateral mover, but he's showing it here that he can move laterally and get to the ball carrier. So uh, this guy has all of the traits that I'm looking for. Look at him hustle. Hits philosophy, that's him right there. Moro Ojoma. I know, again, he's probably a lot of people are saying he's a 3-4, although he's a 3-4. I think that he's worthy of a fourth-round draft pick because he's got all the athletic traits to come in and make a difference on this Bears defensive line immediately and potentially be groomed for that uh, number one slot at the three-tech. So uh, I like the talent. Aldo, can I can I speak to you about this this guy? And it's gonna sure, be a, gonna, I think you're gonna like what I gotta say. Mm-hmm. He's one of them guys I started st- studying months ago. I studied him months ago and, and up to probably about a week or two ago, I continued to study him. And then I, I finally got away from the tape and went to what people are saying about him. What is his teammate saying about him? What's he saying in press conferences? What are the coaches saying? And what you learn is this this guy has a sense of urgency in life. And he knows that you never know what this window has for you. It might be a short one. It might be a big one. But you better be prepared for the opportunity and, and make a statement. Every He's fucking hungry is what I need mm-hmm. to say. And he plays with a sense of urgency that shows up on tape. And so I listened to the shit he was saying and what people were saying about him. You go back to the tape and you see it. What do what you just showed on tape showed you a guy that plays with a sense of urgency. He's got an engine. He's all over that fucking field. And does that bring that brings a lot to your team? Is he a well-polished three-tech? Hell no. No fucking college player coming into the league is a well-polished three-tech. Can he That's get right. there? Fucking right, he can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love this kid too. 
Yeah, this is this is a uh, a class that doesn't have a lot of three techs like a Jalen Carter or guys who played that three tech in college who are ready to play at an elite level. So you have to do some great some forecasting. You got to look at some of the DEs and say, can Tuli Tuli Piolto play the three tech? Danny Shimon believes that he can. Can you know some of the other edge guys be moved inside to the three tech? I look at Moro Jomo and I say, yes, he can uh, be my three tech. Put him in a situation where uh, he becomes part of the rotation. He's got that versatility to play up and down the line. But in into year two, year three, you're giving him more and more reps at three tech. He could be the guy, particularly if you don't get a Jalen Carter or double A from Northwestern. Yeah. All right. Nomad. Thank you, sir. Um, Nomad, uh, you are up with your fifth round selection. Mr. Cam Jones, linebacker, Indiana. Listen, I'm going to tell you guys in this chat, you probably, there's a few people in here that have seen me mention this name multiple times. There's some people in here that's never heard me say it, never seen me write it. But if you want to do yourself a favor, I tell you, I put it to you like this. There, there are a few linebackers. Everybody knows Trenton Simpson is my favorite linebacker because he's got elite ability. If I had to put a close second to what, because this guy, is, this guy right here is 6'3" probably about 225, 230, somewhere in that neighborhood. This, this, you're going to love this cat. Do yourself a favor. When I shut up talking about this cat, pull up some video on this motherfucker. And I guarantee you, you're going to come away feeling the same way I feel about him. We're going to need some depth at linebacker. We're going to need, we, we, we drafted. I mean, we got two guys in free agency that were the top of their free agent class. We're going to be good with the starters, including Jack, uh, Jack Sanborn. But we're going to need – we're thin and we're leaking after that. This cat right here, whoo, I mean, I sideline to sideline. This dude is like a fucking lightning bolt, man. His instincts are crazy. He can play in coverage like a motherfucker. I mean, I'm serious, man. This, this dude is a treat to watch. I'm like, how the fuck did he end up in Indiana? Who the fuck lives in Indiana? Who wants to go to Indiana? Like, what the fuck you go there for? Like Iowa. Who the fuck wants to live there? Ain't nothing there but a fucking gas station. Hey, he look at him here. Up. Look at him here covering that ground. Number four. Look at him. Look at this. Hey, yeah. start, start from the beginning, Aldo. This dude is, you talking about Twitch. Please start from the beginning, Aldo. Oh, my God, this dude. It is so much fun watching this cat on tape. Right there, number four. Yep. He, I mean, he's a sure tackler. He's. I, I think he's probably. Uh, I don't even know if he got invited to the uh, combine. I don't think he for did. whatever reason. I don't know what's going on. I, I haven't heard anybody say anything bad about him. Don't know if it's any. I don't know what happened, but this dude should have been in the combine. Mm -hmm. And we get this dude later in the draft. He's a supplemental pick for us to supplement our linebacker core. He's going to end up being a starter sooner or later. See what he just did uh, there, how he read that pass? Watch him number four here. He's at the middle of the field. He's reading. He's reading. He's reading. He's drifting to the right. Let me get that ball. That's just pure. That's just pure right there. <laughs> That's awesome. That's just fucking pure. First, they're playing Connecticut, though, one of the worst teams in NCAA. But I love this kid, too. But Connecticut if, was horrible. If you haven't studied this guy, Please do yourself a favor. 
and watch some games, Indiana games, Indiana defense at least. This dude. Did you just see this? Did you see this? I saw that. Look at this. Bam! (laughs) Knocks that running back into the goal line. (laughs) And you you listen to him talk in his interviews, you would think, like, this dude can't be that fucking aggressive on the field. It'll fucking trip you out. He's so polite. He's so nice. Every everybody says good things about the guy, so I don't know why he's not being talked about. I couldn't find a fucking thing wrong with him, although only thing I can do is praise the cat and say if we get this cat, we just majorly upgraded our team at linebacker. We have a uh, and he can play any role at linebacker. He can play from Sam all the way over to Will. There's nothing he can't play in that in that linebacker group. He'll come in and immediately upgrade the special teams with his play because he's he's fearless, he's ferocious, he hits hard, he's got that attitude on the football field that's uh, made for special teams. And he, then he's the kind of guy who two, three years from now, he could be one of the starting linebackers, if not, if not even earlier, who knows? Uh, Cliff is right. The Bears right now have one of the best linebacker groups, but you've got to always have depth. You've got to always have competition. As Ryan Poe says, a lot of times the starters you have for game one are not the starters that you have in game 17 because of attrition, injuries, and what have you. Uh, so you've got to have a roster that from one to 53, 54, how many players are on the roster? You've got to have players, and uh, this guy would be a great addition. Although I'll say this one last time, if when, if and when – Somebody decides to do some homework on this guy. You're gonna say something to me next week, and you're gonna be like, "Damn, Nomad, you were right." Just, just do the homework. Watch the games. Mm-hmm. Yep, good stuff. All right, Tooch, who are you thinking in the fifth round that you're saying, "Okay, here's a guy that I like." Who you got? I, I like uh, uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson, the quarterback. Oh, the QB. A fifth yeah. round QB. What round, round Gucci? You still, you still in the fourth or fifth round? Fifth round. Fifth round. Yeah, one forty eighth is where I was grabbing. I'm sure you can, you know, one one thirty eight to one forty eight. The Bears picks around there, but uh, fifth fifth year senior. Uh, completion percentage of sixty nine percent. Twenty five touchdowns. Quarterback rating of one hundred eight point three. Uh, 109 runs for 720 yards, average 6.6 yards per run. I mean, dude's a lot like Justin Fields. I'm not going to say he's Justin Fields, but uh, a guy that could come in and not have to alter the game plan that much. Uh, for and, and a late-round stab on a quarterback, which, I mean, let's go. How many, how many times did we see Green Bay take late quarterbacks and then you yeah. know, either find success with them or flip them for picks? So. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a guy I would look at in the in the later rounds. Cat has a slingshot for an arm too, man. Yeah, yeah, can sling it. He's a special player, special athlete. And I I gotta say this though, the signing of PJ Walker as the backup quarterback, I think is one of the more underrated signings yes. uh, of this offseason. Yeah, people really haven't been praising that as much as I think it should be praised. You know, the season is long. You've got a, a very athletic quarterback in Justin Fields who might get nicked up and so forth. You put PJ Walker in there, and he's gonna win you some games. I'm not saying that he's a starting quarterback. I'm saying that he could be the best backup quarterback in the National Football League, and he could be a part of that recipe for championships. So I'm super excited by that. But I do love Tucci's pick to bring in a, a, a 
player that you could potentially develop in case you do get an injury at the quarterback position. This guy could be ready to rock and roll. I'm tired uh, of seeing these, you know, guys who have been in the year in the league for eight, nine years, another coach in the fucking quarterback room. Get, get the, you got enough fucking coaches. You don't need a yeah. fucking quarterback who all he does is coach. Don't they have a, didn't they sign a third stringer recently? Motherfucker on the sideline looking like somebody's daddy uh, with a clipboard. Uh, exactly. <laughs> they did sign some quarterback, didn't they? Fifth rounder or something? Yeah, they signed. Uh, they signed. Oh, Peterman. I think they signed Peterman, didn't they? <laughs> no, God, no. did they? <laughs> I think they did. <laughs> what's that quarterback we had in here as a backup a couple years ago? Um, oh, what's that dude's name? Came Chase from Missouri. Daniel? Yeah, you yeah, know Chase how many that motherfuckers made over the years. Yeah, they did sign Peterman. He's a yeah. he's like he's like hitting motherfuckers upside the head with a bag of nickels. He's just like stealing money. He really is. What the fuck <laughs> are you doing, man? That that earned that much money, man. Yeah, yeah. Bear, Bear Truth Nine has uh, uh wants to talk about Nolan Smith. The of a few games that he's watched, I don't see a pass rush full time edge. I see a guy who you could develop as a will. Got all the move skill if. In second, you get him, then that would be good. Bear Truth 9, he's not a scheme fit for the Bears. He he would be perfect for uh, Vic Fangio's 3-4, Nolan Smith. I, I can't believe that this guy is being talked about so much for the Chicago Bears. He just it does not fit the scheme. Now, if Eberflus tells Ryan Post, okay, listen, I know that he's not a scheme fit, but – We've come up with a plan on how to use him so that we can get 12 sacks like Mark Anderson with the 2006 Bears or, or whatever. We've got a really good plan to make this guy a sack master. Then you listen. But in terms of what we know about the Eberflus cover two uh, defense and, and how these edge guys are, he just does not fit the scheme. So we'll see. Just really quick, man, Bear Truth 9 and I, I've learned we, he and I don't disagree on much at all. He sees a lot of things the same way I see this. I'll tell you why I want to differ with him because of what Aldo said. He he is definitely not a scheme fit if we're going to be a 4-3 base defense. However, if they're planning to sprinkle some different fronts, some different formations, they want to mix up some 3-4 and 4-3 and do some different things like that, then I can see why – he ended up coming here on a um one of those 30 visits, man. He he did come for a visit. So he did. You know, he has something to stand on there. So I don't know. I don't know. You don't know from year to year what a team is gonna come at you with. They they might say that, you know what, I wanna I wanna use some three, four fronts or some different kinds of fronts this year just to throw offenses for a, a twist a little bit. I don't know. But it was interesting to me to find out that he came for a 30 visit. And I'm just like, why the fuck would they bring him here and waste a 30 visit on him? Yeah, he doesn't was the scheme at all. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah, there was there was another guy um, that they brought in who wasn't a scheme fit either. I forgot who it was. So they're doing due diligence. Yeah, DeJuan Jones. Yes, exactly. This came out they, probably yesterday, I think. That was interesting to me too. Yeah, I mean <laughs> – Somebody posted some video today of Orlando Brown running. <laughs> and people tagged me on and said, Greg Gabriel is right. This guy can't fucking run. If, if hey, the house was hey, on fire, he's burning up, man. Hey, I'm gonna tell you something though, man. I watched enough. I wanted to, I wanted, I wanted to take the prove me wrong about uh Dewan Jones. 
Mm-hmm. And the first thing you, you notice about it is how big and lumbering he is. Let me tell you mm-hmm. something. For a big son bitch, he can move, man. He can move. He can fucking move. Oh, if, if they trimmed 10 pounds, 12 pounds off that guy with the way he moves now, mm-hmm. you can get that guy and, and pull him and he can fucking annihilate people. And in the reach blocking scheme, in the zone wide zone scheme, he can fucking do it. So I don't I don't buy every everybody's uh, commentary about oh he's three hundred and thirty pounds or, or over he's not a scheme fit they're looking for three hundred and fifteen and down uh, ne- not necessarily depending on the player you're looking at if a guy mm-hmm. has is showing you the ability on tape that he has the agility and the movement skills to be able to do it at a at a heavier weight then you can't really rule that out you can't mm-hmm. really rule it out as much as you may want to. You can't really rule it out. We don't know what these guys are thinking, and you just have to wait and see. Totally agree with you. You, you definitely cannot rule it out. I think that the the bigger the biggest concern because I did see him at this the senior bowl. He practiced just one day, and he had a phenomenal practice. And I'm sure his agent said, "Come on, baby, you showed enough. You don't have to fucking stick around." He, he stayed the, the entire week, but he's you know he, he did enough to show people that he's got quickness. The big question is, is that when the guy is like 300, what, 65, 70 pounds and so forth, and he is playing on this outside run zone defense, how long can he run? You know, that that weight is going to take a toll on those knees and legs and so forth. And so you got to have some concern about that. But I was super surprised at how quickly he moved because before I went out there, Greg said, don't worry about this guy. He's not going to be drafted by the Bears. He's too big. He's too slow and so so forth. I came back. I said, Greg, he's too big maybe, but he's not too slow. The guy can move. Although it's as simple as, hey, hey, get your big ass over there and put that ham sandwich back. Get some Mm -hmm. granola. Get some of those um, blueberries and shit in your bowl. Get a bowl and put that fucking sandwich back. Trim a few pounds off of him and you're looking at a different guy. You're looking at a different guy. You just turn, you turn some of that, some of that fat into good, good power weight, dude. You, you, we talking about we. You looking at him in college and what they're requiring him to do in college. You talking about reshaping a person's body when they get into the NFL and making him fit what you want him to be. And sometimes when you look at a guy like DeWan Jones, it just comes down with trimming bad weight off of him and turning most of it into muscle. That dude mm-hmm. is the Great Wall of China over there. If, <laughs> if he decides you ain't getting past him, you ain't fucking getting past him. Period. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Good stuff. All right, uh, Toot, you gave us your guy, right? Uh, the quarterback. So it is yeah. my turn now. Uh, let me tell you that I, again, down at the Senior Bowl, I fell in love with this guy. Uh, not because he's fast, because he's not. He's a tight end that runs about a 4.85, and that's not quick. And that's not fast, but he is quick. And I think that the tight end position is one that we should continue to bolster just as a safeguard in case Cole Komet leaves. But also, Robert Tunyon, who is, I think, an, an excellent acquisition, I think his contract is just a one year. And so to me, this is a deep tight end class. I would try to uh, target a tight end in the five in the fifth round and I really like this kid 
Payne Durham out of Purdue at the senior bowl. This guy was catching touchdown passes. He was getting open and he was fired up for everything. This dude can play the game of football. I think this would be a really good investment in the fifth round. I got some highlights tape to share with you uh, just real quickly here as I call it up. Purdue tight end Payne Durham. Um, he's, you know, he's a, typically a, the, the Y tight end, the guy that's uh, lined up closer to the line of scrimmage, but he can move out and, and get open. He's he's adept at getting open in, against zone defenses. And you'll see here, watch how he brings the ball in with his hands. That's all hands. He saw it into his hands, caught it. None of these uh, basket catches or anything like that. That tells me that this kid is a reliable pass catcher. Look at him adjust to that pass for the touchdown. Unbelievable. Payne Durham is a guy I want on the Chicago Bears. He's big. He's tough. He's he's a he's a he's a teammate. Uh, I just think that this guy would be a very very special selection. I see Tooch is nodding his head up and down. He yeah. agrees with me. I like that kid too. I got another tight end for you with the next round too, but uh, okay. w- wouldn't mind painter either. Both guys mm-hmm. I really like. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think, uh, Nomad? Anything? Any thoughts on painter? Man, I hate the, I hate the pissing your Cheerios. I watched him and studied him. I think he's regular. I think he's pretty much Cole Komet. He's pretty much Cole Komet. Probably with a bit, a little bit better hips. He's got better fluidity in his hips than Cole Komet. Cole Komet is really, really he's, stiff from he's waist down. Stiff, man. Yes, he's really stiff. This like guy him. is not he's, he's not that much more fluid, but he's a little more fluid yeah. than Cole Komet. I, and I'm not trying to put him down. I think Cole Komet's a really good tight end. So putting him in that category with Cole Komet is good. But I think he's he's a lot of the same of what you already have. To me, Looking for a tight end, like I'll just give you a name, Cameron McDonald out of uh, Florida, Florida State. You, you only gave me four opportunities, so I couldn't squeeze him in there, but I wanted okay. to get him in there. But Cameron McDonald, if you guys want to do some uh, tight end homework, you want to talk about a sleeper, he's probably not going. He's probably not going to get drafted. He would be a guy that could be different than what you have in the room. Yeah, but I, I think that you don't always have to – to be different. First of all, um, Cole Komet is kind of a hybrid tight end. He'll play that wide position, but he'll, he's also has the capability of being out. I, if, if Payne Durham were to be drafted by the Chicago bears, I would tell him you were going to be the wide tight end. And now uh, w- w- that's going to give us the opportunity to make Cole Komet the move tight end and to see if he can become anything close to a George Kittle because he has shown this growing connection with Justin Fields, and he could potentially catch you 85, 95 passes. Cole Komet is much more athletic, I think, than Payne Durham. He, 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 he's got more twitchiness to him, not to, to say that he's a great twitchy tight end, but to me, he, he could potentially be that uh, outside move tight end, and that way he's not sacrificing his body so much on run blocking, and he could instead work his way through zone defenses and catch passes, and then when you need Payne, Payne Durham to go out there and catch passes for you, he can do that because he we just saw a demonstration of his hands. You're right, uh, uh, Nomad. He is vanilla. You're, that's what you're going to find in the fifth round. You're not going to find you know, mm. a, a blue-chip tight end uh, mm. in the fifth round. 
<laughs> Tooch disagrees with me, so let's go to Tooch now. <laughs> got a guy for you. This is be what my sixth round. Mm -hmm. This dude, uh, I don't know if anybody's watched any film on the, on this dude, but this dude's name is Josh Wiley from Cincinnati. Same same uh, college that Travis oh, Kelsey. Like not that that's that not that that's a huge thing, you know. He happened to go to the same place where uh, uh, Kelsey went, but uh, as a fifth year senior, but. Uh, He's got a, a lot of speed. In fact, uh, he was timed at 20 miles per hour. It's ran a four six five forty. Uh, 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 got a, a 35 and a half inch vertical contest. He, this dude's got like crazy legs. If you watch a tape, you know he, he reminds me of Cooper Cup, kind of with the change of direction stuff. And he's got breakaway speed. I'm telling you, uh, contests the uh, uh, catch. He looks a little lanky, but I think his his frame could carry uh, a little bit more more late uh, uh, weight. Uh, runs with a low pad level uh, like that, and uh, uh, able to get his body into position and award off the defenders while going for the catch. Strong hands, wrestles the ball away from defenders, uh, and transitions quickly from going uh, from receiver to runner. Uh, if you watch uh, uh, some of the tape, he'll outrun defenders and. Uh, He's got enough speed to to, to uh, threaten the seam. So uh, if you get a chance, look at Josh Wiley out of, out of Cincinnati. I know it's a weaker conference, not one of the Power Five conferences, but uh, I uh, in the late round, man, dude. <laughs> Do you yeah, know what I uh, like about that cat, man? Yeah, the, the, that dude is is wiry. Yeah, and He's but crazy legs. <laughs> that's that's what worries about. That's what worries yeah. me about him because the, the rule changes. You know, you can't really square up on a guy and hit him in the upper body like you want to because you're worried about, you know, getting a flag. And guys are hitting lower nowadays. And those wiry guys like that really worry me, man. And if you're going to get a, if you're going to have a, a tight end that's longer, like your Cole Komet size people, you want a guy that's more built in the lower body than, than him. He's got a long way to go in order to be able to play in the NFL and, and remain healthy. Other than that, and that's just because of the physical nature of the changes in the game. They're going to hit him low, and he's long and wiry, man. I don't think he has the muscle down there to be able to absorb those hits. And so I think that's what he has to work on, just getting the gym, get that lower yeah. body strong and strengthened up, and so yeah. you'll be able to absorb some of those hits like Cole Komet has been able to do. Yeah, I, I think he's got the frame to carry some more weight. I mean, well, a year in NFL definitely. weight program, but uh, the speed is undeniable. Well, Josh Wiley is is a tight end that I got to study on at Senior Bowl. I actually talked to him. This is unedited material, oh, nice. so. Oh, he can he can put some weight on. Yeah, he can definitely put some weight on. He's going to need to in order to be He's effective. He's going to need to next yep. level because they're going to tag him in the lower body. Can you guys hear it? Not no, yet. I can't hear shit. No. That's very low. I don't hear a word. Anyway, I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought... <laughs> it's weird because I can hear it full, full full blast here. I got some w w weird wiring connection thing, so I'm sorry you can't hear it, but... What, what was um, he I'll saying? Um, 
that first question I asked him, I told him, it looks to me like you had a really good practice. And he said, um, yeah, actually I did. I think I got better and better each week because clearly in, in the, the very first day, all the pass catchers, tight ends and wide receivers had really bad connections with the quarterbacks and so forth. And then by the second day, everybody was starting to settle down. Uh, he, this uh, Wiley kid was part of uh, Luke Etsy's offense and they were starting to appreciate what he, they were trying to do offensively. And that day after practice, Practice, I sought him out because I thought he had a really good practice. And so uh, he talked about, you know, the stuff that he was learning and, and so forth. And I asked him, you know, what exactly have you been learning? He goes, you know, really, I've been learning a lot of the same things I learned in college, but I'm learning different language to it. I'm learning slightly little nuanced techniques and so forth. He's an aw shucks kind of guy, very, very uh, uh, humble. Uh, he's not going to be, you know, coming into locker rooms, I think, and throwing helmets around. He's a good guy. He's very tall. He's got, he does have the frame to build a lot of weight. He does have to improve his blocking, but as a pass catching tight end, this guy is could be a, a special player. I totally agree with you, Tooch. And uh, yeah. just really on the side note, really quick, you, if you, if you, if I mention, if you mention, you ask me, hey, hey, Nomad, Tight end, who are the names that come to your mind? First person that's going to come to my mind is going to be Travis Kelsey. Yep. It's going to be okay. the tight end. It's going the next one is going to be the tight end from Baltimore. Mm -hmm. Two oh, yeah. things Mark, about Mark those. Edwards. Yep. Yes. No, is that his name? Yeah, Mark uh, Edwards. Mark Andrews. Mark, Mark Andrews. Andrews yeah. Sorry. <laughs> one thing you notice <laughs> about those two guys. <laughs> yeah. One thing you notice about those two guys, they've been able to be consistently on the field for the most part. Why? Because they're well-defined below the waist. They're able to absorb some hits. And I'm not yeah. saying that uh, Wiley can't get – Wiley can get there, but he's going to need some time to develop. Yeah, you These know, guys well, have to – Kelsey ahead, wasn't all that big when he first came in. He had the injury problems. He was a little bit thinner guy too, a lot like Wiley. Yeah. So it took, it took uh, Kelsey a while to build up the strength to absorb the NFL uh, game, uh, the hits yeah. that he'd be taking. But, yeah, you're right. Even even the um, tight end at Kittle in uh, San Fran, same yeah. issues, same issues yep. with Tanya, leg in injuries. They've learned that you need to be well defined below the waist in order yep. to be an effective tight end with consistency in this league. You better be nicely built below the waist, so you're not going to be there long. The Tanya mm -hmm. story too today, I, I think it dropped. I don't know, uh, maybe it was a couple days ago, but about his dad. You know, he and his dad doing the yard work in the morning, and then. Together they watched the uh, uh, Bears game. Uh, he's, you know, a kid from Illinois, nor uh, Northern Illinois uh, area. I, don't know if I forget, it was like Zion area or some somewhere up there. But uh, he grew up a Bears fan too. Great story. Uh, hopefully he does some does some good things with the team next year. Hey fellas, throw some questions in the chat about anybody you want to talk about. Throw them in there. We'll, we'll try to I guess we'll try to find some time to answer them at the end. But let's talk to let's talk to the chat a little bit towards the end. Absolutely. All right, uh, Nomad, let us go now to your six round pick. Oh, shit. My turn again. Yeah. Byron Young. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, you got the wrong Byron Young. Oh, did I? <laughs> but, but we'll work with that one. We'll work with that. Uh, one. I want it. This is the one actually. Hey, hey, all of this is the one I was studying initially. And I'm still studying him. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. um, every time I, I pulled him up for the first two or three times I did it, every time was Byron Young from Tennessee right up under him. So I'm like, okay, 
eventually I'm going to have to study that Byron Young too just to see what he's about. But let's just focus on this one right here. This guy right here, um, he's a, he's really a three-tech. But he also has position versatility. They line the, these guys up everywhere at mm-hmm. Alabama. They have so many different kinds of fronts and so many looks they throw at, at teams from their, on their fronts. This, that, this guy probably doesn't – he doesn't have the stats that you would expect a traditional three-tech to have in, in college. He doesn't mm-hmm. have they, – they, they didn't allow him to – penetrate and rush the uh, quarterback as much as you would have a, a three tech in a regular scheme do because they lined him up everywhere from, from three all the way out to six, all the way out to wide nine. He did it all on that defensive front. And so when you're looking at Byron Young's stats, do not judge it based off the numbers that you see. It's just, um, and, I, and I, I think it's a good thing that Alabama does that with their players, their defensive front guys because they give them multiple looks. But when you look at stats, and if you're somebody that's evaluating a player based off stats, he's being uh, you're being misunderstood at what this guy can bring to the table. Byron Young is a fucking stud. It's just about settling into a position and a role and so that you get the most that you can get out of him. I think people are really sleeping on this cat. Yeah, I'm sorry. I uh, So you were talking about the kid from Tennessee, right? It's all good, man. You already did the work. We're just talking about this, Byron Young. We'll catch right, that man. guy on the on the rebound. I hate fucking up for you, bro. <laughs> I know, I know both of them, so it's not a big, not a big deal. You're the man. All right, let me go to my six-round pick. Uh, let me pull up the graphic here. And there he is. It is. Nope, that's the fifth round pick. Dante Stills from West Virginia. This is a guy that is funny because. I was out at the Senior Bowl, and so I call uh, Danny, who's in Vegas for the Shrine Bowl game, and I go, okay, who do you like? And so he gives me a list of players. In typical Danny uh, for, uh, format, I expect to hear you know five or six names. He gives me 50. And so in that list of players, he mentions Dante Stills. And then I'm so I'm watching the game, and I text him, and I say, holy shit, this kid Dante Stills is amazing. He goes, didn't you fucking listen to me when I was giving my giving you my list of players? I go, yeah, but he gave me so many. I can't fucking remember you included this guy. This guy <laughs> is, this guy, it really is a, is a special player. Uh, I, I see a lot of mocks where he's down in the seventh round. I like him so much that I think that uh, if he's there in the sixth, you just should uh, – Take them all. Th- all the top three guys that I've given to you as sleepers are all four-year starters, and this guy has was a three-tech uh, down in uh, West Virginia. He's he still has some growing to do. Uh, he he doesn't play you know with length that you would like out of that three-tech, but I think he could be a really solid part of a rotation. Uh, he's got athletic movements. Uh, he's a very disruptive. I got a little bit of a, a videotape that I'll share with you. I think that this is a guy, if you have not uh, taken a look at Dante Stills, you really should because here's what he does. Here he's unblocked. So, yeah, you know, but look at the quickness that he gets into the backfield. Get over here. You're part of my lunch. Um, he's, he's, to me, he's, he's tailor-made to be a positional rotational player who can come in and give you big plays. His quickness is really among – he's probably among the quicker interior defensive linemen in this draft, which is, to me, so amazing why they have him so low on, on so many draft boards. 
you know, a, a late day three. I just love the kid. I think that he can really do some special things with the Bears. Um, and it's too bad all these uh, <laughs> all these highlights. Look at how the way he is. All these highlights, he appears to be unblocked. But, uh, you know, if he's unblocked, then he's going to make a play. Right, Dooch? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they look awesome when they're all strung together, all those highlights. I got to have this guy. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right, Tooch, why don't okay. you give me a uh, seventh-round pick, brother? All right. My uh, seventh-round pick I talked about last time we did the draft shows. Daniel Scott, safety out of California. A lot like Cam, Cam Jones. You know, if you're looking for a seventh-round uh, pick, sometimes, you know, you might look at safety. You know, don't this dude's a uh, What's that? Don't be a mooch, Tooch. <laughs> Is that I'm your pick, too? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, for like the dude's six six one two oh eight. He's got good size. He's a team captain. Uh, you know, a uh, g- good blitzer. If you watch his tape, uh, a lot of uh, athleticism. Uh, good uh, blitzer too. If you watch uh, effective blitzer, uh, it ran a four four five forty, which I know people love the speed and stuff. And uh, that was second among all the safeties. Uh, vertical jump 39 and a half fifth among all safety cone drill three cone drill 6.75 seconds was fourth among everybody all positions uh yeah a dude uh if, if you watch this tape at, at safety yeah, if they can uh eddie jackson might be you know phasing out this could be a guy that you could phase in at at free safety mm, very good sorry um, no, man. i didn't mean to step on you there but it's all good man hey Daniel Daniel Scott is going to be one of those guys. Yeah. If he gets drafted, yeah. awesome. He, he he's going to be a steal. He's going to be a steal for a zone based team because he's going to he's got the some of the better instincts I've seen in any free agent. I mean any free safety in this draft. The instincts are incredible. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. All right, we got Nomad seventh round pick. It is Chris Smith, the raging Cajun. This one, I got the wrong yeah, guy. I like this dude too. No, you got the right guy. You got the All right. Guy. <laughs> this guy right here, this one is just for you. You know why? Because you've been going on and on all offseason about you can get a quality back late in the draft. I got him in the seventh. Yeah, I love this it. cat right here. I don't know if you got any film. Oh, but yeah. If you guys, if you guys in the chat want to do yourselves a favor, watch this cat's film. And what you want to look for is how often he's touched. Mm-hmm. When you see a guy like this running the ball, and you notice how he rarely is touched when he's running for a long, that's a sign of great instincts, great anticipation, great patience, and great acceleration once he sees what he needs to see. That's a sign of a great running back. This this cat right here is different, man. He's got long speed. He's two hundred pounds, about five foot eleven, six foot. So he's not a small guy. And so we we need a guy that can play in third down situations, a guy that can hit a home run. This guy, when he when he hits a hole, he runs well in the wide zone scheme. Mm-hmm. There is coming out of the backfield for a catch. Nice hands, yeah. natural hands, easy natural hands. Mm-hmm. This dude, I, I I wish you guys would do some work on him too. Uh, nice Although, what did you think of this guy when you when you first start looking at the film? 
I love the pick. I love the pick, and I yeah. love the fact that you know he, he could immediately come in and help in the passing game. That's a big part of the reason Tristan Ebner was drafted by the Chicago Bears is because they wanted a reliable pass catching uh, back out of the backfield. Unfortunately, yeah. this didn't work out for Tristan Ebner. They might in, in his second year, uh, but when you look at how uh, this player, Chris Smith, just eats up that hole, he sees a hole, he immediately recognizes it and dashes to it. Aldo, bring that back. Watch how nobody touches him. Yeah. That's not insignificant. That is not insignificant. That is a sign of great patience and awareness when he sees what he needs to see hitting the gas and he goes from zero to ten so fucking fast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Shot out of a can. Nobody touches him. He's a, he's he, a special that player. might sound like some insignificant shit, but that is not insignificant. Nobody's mm-hmm. touching this cat. That's rare to see. That's not in, that was Texas. Mm-hmm. Nobody's yeah, touching this cat. The one first clip you played was against Iowa State. Pretty good defense too. When he sees it, he accelerates and nobody fucking touches him. Well, you got to yeah, give that nice. offensive line some credit because he's getting some really fucking nice holes there. <laughs> you know what? I've seen some really good offensive lines this offseason. I've seen some really bad running backs that can't read uh, the shit mm-hmm. and set it up the way it needs to be set up and accelerate when you need to. This mm-hmm. dude is different in that way. Yeah, I like That's this the, dude, man. This He's dude, a player. There's no doubt about it. Look at that. Nobody fucking touches him. Mm-hmm. Until yep. 60 I, yards later. I like him. I like him a lot. All right, I'll go to my play, uh, player now. This is the only guy that's not a four-year starter, but uh, like Nomad said, you know, playmakers. You know, the Bears need playmakers, and so when I was looking around and studying who might be a seventh-round pick, a late-day-three pick, I found uh, this kid, and I really think that this kid from TCU, Darius Davis, is so fucking special. He's very similar to the player that we just saw, except he plays that slot wide receiver position. He also returns kicks like Smith. I got some tape on uh, Darius. Let me see if I can cue this up real quickly here for us. Uh, But you're going to see a player who is the type of – reminds me a little bit of of Tariq uh, Cohen, which is a player who we could definitely use, a guy that, you know, is just going to – create explosive plays. Look at the wide receiver screen, sees the hole, makes the move to pick up extra yards, hard to bring down. Uh, Here he is uh, down the middle. Oh, beautiful pass and a beautiful catch. Withstands the punishment to hold on to the ball. Play action. Look left. There he is. Open, makes the catch, tries to escape to get the yak. Here he is in the return game. Watch how he – just a little Devin Hester move right here. Just – I'm gonna create the hole. I'm gonna go this way. I'm gonna I'm gonna go on the sideline and watch my speed. Watch my speed. Set it all up. Set up the blockers and take it downtown. The kid is special. Darius Davis, two-year player out of TCU. Somebody to take a look at. He might. A lot of people are saying that that he might not even get drafted. And so, if that's the case, you know that uh, the Chicago Bears. Well, I, I shouldn't say you know. But I hope that the Chicago Bears are on the phone with his agent saying, we want to sign you and give you that big fucking fat undrafted free agent check. So those are some good players. Um, yeah, I like that. Although, if you like that guy, mm-hmm. I'm just going to throw you a little extra one and everybody in the chat. I'm going to feed him some red meat. There's mm-hmm. a kid by the name of same measurables pretty much. 
but he's he's kind of a mix between a running back and a receiver, just like this cat, and he's built mm-hmm. that way. Nico Remigio from from Rutger. Mm-hmm. Check that mm-hmm. cat out. Say his name one more time. Nico Remigio. Check that cat out from Rutgers, man. You 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 like this dude? You gonna fucking fall in love with this cat? Rutgers. Yep. Rutgers. Nico Remigio. You know him, Hotuch? No, I don't. How do you say his last name again? Nico Remigio. He do, he does sound Italian though. <laughs> He might have some Italian in him. <laughs> I'm surprised yeah. you don't know him. Is he he's a running a, back? Oh, a, here it is. He's known for his return ability, but he can do it all. Yeah, Jordan Silvera has got it here. He would know. Jordan would know, wouldn't he? Of course. George the man. Oh, he's a returner. Okay, let's see what you got. He's not just Nico. a returner. He, he'll, he'll flip that field for you. Ooh, nice. Spin away from two tacklers. I see open field. Oh, slip by another one. Another one. That's five guys who had a chance to tackle him, and he slips away. Sets up his blocks nicely, goes down the sideline. He's going to make it in. Of course he is. That's a, that's not the best look. This dude's got some burst to him. He's got acceleration like a son of a bitch. He goes from zero to ten so fast. Mm-hmm. This doesn't really show it because he has so much traffic around him. Mm-hmm. He's probably tired by the time he got to the other sideline. Because he did so much to just get over there. <laughs> yeah, really. Oh, here's another punt. Line drive punt. Oh, he's going to love this. Get out of here. Boom. I'm up. Let me See you. Show my speed on this fucking blue field. It's like, yeah, Boise State. Oh, I hate that fucking field. Get it off. Him, <laughs> he's, got, he's got probably about seven of these, man. He's got some pass catching skills. Yeah. Natural, too. Mm-hmm. Natural too. I mean, we don't need this guy, but it'd be nice if you can get your hands on him and just have him on the team. Yeah, I have frankly not heard of him, Nico Remigio. Catch passes, gets open over the middle, makes a nice adjustment to the pass. One more. Oh, snap gets away. Let's create. Oh, look at just heal it, throw it up. Of course, he's open. Fucking knows how to get open. That little bastard is dynamite, man. Remigio. Appreciate it, Jordan. I do homework just like you, man. I feel like I'm the hardest working man in the Bears business. But I know people out there working just as hard as me, and I'm just trying to outdo everybody. There you go. There you go. All right. So, day three. I think what we've learned when we looked at the uh, 85 Super Bowl team and the 2006 Super Bowl team is you got to hit on some big name players on day three of the draft. You know, back then they had, of course, for the 80s, in the 80s, they had 12 rounds. So uh, that day three was a long fucking time. But we've got to find the players at the top of the draft. You got to find your Hall of Famers and then in the middle uh, and and day three, you've got to find the guys who are going to be contributors to championship football. And I really do hope that this is the year that we can look back and say, holy shit, man, we really started to build a a football team. Let's look back at last year's draft, which was uh, Ryan Post's first draft. Um, I loved this draft when it first came out, and I still love it. And it it could disappoint me, but I think these 
three out of these uh, top four picks are definite stars. Kyler Gordon and Jaquan Brisker are going to be mainstays in this defensive back, backfield. I really believe that we've got our left tackle of the present and future in Braxton Jones. And that Valus Jones, I'm not giving up on this kid. We, we right, saw right. how he started to play better in those last half dozen games of the season. This kid could come on in 2023 and have a, a sensational season. I'm not going to put money on it, but I do think I'd love – you know, the physical attributes. I really do believe that he could add to this team. Dominic Robinson, very raw pass rusher, but he showed some skills. Hopefully he's been working hard over the offseason. The rest of these guys, uh, with the exception of uh, Trenton Gill, are all possibilities, uh, but I- I'm not going to lay down any money, although I know a lot of people are really, really high on Jatiri Carter um, and, and Greg Gato being among one of them. Uh, Nomad, what do you think about this draft as you look back at it in this short year that we've had to analyze it? There's only one guy on here that I would circle. And 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 only and I'll tell you why really quick. And I led I kind of led on to this last week. Zachary Thomas, when you look at the film, he's really good at, at run blocking, really, really good at movement and getting down the field on the to the to the second level. In zone blocking, he—that's probably what attracted him to some somebody in the Bears organization. But somebody there, I don't know whether it's the O line coach or who, whoever the fuck it was. Somebody stood up and said, "I can work with this guy." But you look at him, man, from the waist down. There is no upside. He's not. His body was not NFL ready, and that's the only pick here that I would take umbrage with with polls about. He just didn't. No, his body, he's got two picks for legs, man. The rest of these guys, <laughs> I would not be so quick to uh, rule them out. Ebner didn't show anything this year, and I understand why people are down on him. I understand why people are down on Valus Jones, but I would, I would, I would just say pump your brakes and just wait. Let's mm-hmm. see what these guys bring to the table in their uh, sophomore season in the NFL. Let's see if they shook the rookie shit. Vegas Jones, I'm pretty sure, has some confidence issues going into his rookie season just because of the mistakes he made. Uh, Tristan Ebner, from the looks of him, it looks it looked to me like he got a little too heavy and wasn't anywhere near explosive that he as he needed to be going into the season. Yes, he did suck. He did suck. But is there a reason behind that? Is it something right. that can be corrected? So it's easy for us to shoot bullets at the cat, but can he correct it? What if he comes into the season really ready to play and he shows his ass? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I'm just not so quick to, you know, get him out of here. I'm not that kind of guy, man. I believe in football players and they can change and, and, and benefit themselves. But those are the – that that uh, Zachary Thomas pick, that's really the only one that I would take have a problem with. This the rest okay. of these guys, I think, have upside. Well, you know, and one of the things that excites me, and then, uh, Tuch, I'd love your uh, thoughts on this draft. Uh, One of the things that excites me is that all of these guys are going to be competing. They've got the advantage of having been through a uh, Eberflus training camp and and Eberflus offseason. And so hopefully all of these new guys are going to be drafted, all of these new acquisitions that are coming in in, to compete with these guys for a place on the roster, for a place even on the practice squad, they're all going to be tested in a big way. You're you're right, Nomad. Don't give up on these guys. These guys, if they really want it, 
based on what Poles has been doing in terms of the quality people that he brings in, people who love the game of football, people who want to compete, people who want to play for a long, long time in this league, you know, these guys should should show some natural progress. Tooch, what do you think about this draft class? Well, I mean, let's just let's just say right off the bat that Ryan Poles, when this before this draft started, he didn't have shit to work with. Mm-hmm. You know, he had five right. picks and didn't have a first round pick, didn't Good have point. a third round pick. Uh, so he turned five picks into eleven picks. So I mean, you look at the top five picks and you think, oh. It's Pretty good picks, you know. Kyler Gordon, Jaquan Brisker, and Braxton Jones; those guys are all starters. Um, so, uh, a good hit for the first half of the draft. Then the second half of the of the draft, uh, it kind of like meandered after that, you know, where he was just kind of, you know, uh, throwing some darts at the dartboard, you know, uh, some misses in there. I think uh, maybe some hits late, and then you got a punter out of it. You know, if, if I were to critique it, that's what I, what I would say about this draft. Mm-hmm. First half, the top half looking pretty solid. Then, you know, when he made a bunch of trades, he kind of just threw a bunch of, you know, s- see what sticks to the wall. Like, uh, uh, what's the AC AC uh, drop, right? Oh, uh, hell no. What is it? Uh, like uh, <laughs> Air current... Uh, uh, I'm just trying to throw something at the wall and see if it sticks. It's really easy to get down on these guys, man. It's really easy and call them, you know. Yep. Like Claypool. I mean, oh, he didn't do anything this year. Well, why? The best question in the world is why. Why did some injuries? He do that much. Why didn't Tristan Ebner perform as well? Why didn't Valus Jones perform as well? Why didn't Ty- did Tyree Carter play? Why did Elijah Hicks not look so well at time? On and on and on. The question is why? If you can answer that, then you can get to the bottom line of there's context to every last bit of this shit. You got to figure it out. It's not as easy as, oh, he, he sucked. No. That's the easy fan way out of everything. Come on, man. No, you're absolutely right. And I think that what we all have to understand is – all of these guys, even Dominic Robinson, all of these guys were uh, developmental picks. You know, you're, yeah. you're, the chances of you striking on a first-year starter in the, as a sixth-round pick, a seventh-round pick, that's highly unlikely. Jatari okay. Carter was kept on this squad at all costs because they really liked it. They really like his potential. Doug Kramer, of course, got hurt, and so – Hopefully we'll get to see him at camp this year and see what he can do. Yeah. But all these guys were, were were brought in because they're thinking in a year or two under our system, we can get these guys to work for us. So that's the key thing, Tooch. Nobody hits on 100%, that's Cliff Victoria says. Nomad, I got a question for you. What you've seen of Kyler Gordon, do you want him on the outside or at your as your slot CB? I wouldn't have a problem with him in either, but I definitely think he found out he he performed better on the on the hash on the boundary. Mm-hmm. That's why that's why I went with a, a nickel in the draft. I think if I had to guess, polls his best tape. I mean, uh, uh, Eberflus his best tape was on the boundary. Right. He learned a lot in the nickel, playing all over the field. But that takes a lot out of a guy. I don't know that Kyler Gordon has yeah. the measurables to be a really effective. Jacorian Bennett has better measurables to play in the slot. 
Yeah. I think uh, one of the things to remember is that the Bears uh, lost their nickel for the season. He didn't even play a game. Tavon yeah. Young. They exactly. brought him in to be that nickel back. And so what great, happened great then is point, they, yeah, great that, point. They, then they told Kyler, you know, hey, we want to see you at nickel. And so they threw so much on the young man. I think he can. I think he's he's capable from a physical standpoint of playing the nickel and being good. But I think they inundated him with information, and then he had his own injury problems, and so that slowed down his rookie season. But I thought yeah. towards the last half dozen games of the season that he started playing at a much higher level and showing promise. I, I thought they drafted Kyler Gordon as an eventual replacement if, if Jalen Johnson walked. That was my mm-hmm. initial thoughts after this draft. You know, it was a hedge against uh, uh, not being able to sign Jalen Johnson. Mm-hmm. You know what? You know what? Although you made at this point, I didn't even with all the homework I do on all these guys, I hadn't really thought of. I forgot they got Tavon Young in the offseason. And he they were planning to play him at nickel. And he got hurt. And they figured out they had to shuffle some guys around. They said, you know what? I think. This is probably Kyler's chance to get an opportunity here. And guess what? Yes, he was slow. Yes, mm-hmm. he was slow and reacting. He was playing puppy dog all fucking the first half of the season. Puppy dog is you just chasing. Yeah. And that happens to every young nickel that plays on any level of football. You're chasing until you see enough snaps. You see enough formations. You see enough fronts. And, and you start predicting what they're coming at you with. And so as he got going later on during the season, right before they put him on the boundary, you start seeing Kyler Gordon making plays. I remember vividly we were doing a show. Aldo asked me, hey, and you think it's time to take uh, uh, Kyler Gordon out and sit him? I was like, hell no. He needs to see a whole lot more than what he's seen so far. And mm-hmm. as the season went on, you saw Kyler Gordon start making strides. And so that's, that's true for every corner, especially for a nickel. You have to get in there and see enough shit for the game to slow down for you. And so you saw that at the back half of the year. He started performing his ass off, and he looked like a great fucking pick, which which is what he was. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> just everybody should be easy on, on, a, on a rookie cornerback especially. Just let him take his lumps. He will learn. Yeah. And, you know, the theme of this show has been building through the draft and so forth. And I, I one of the things that has to be said is that um, – where, where did I see this? I saw this. It's a great uh, topic because the Bears are terrible at it. Yeah, <laughs> right. And so hopefully we've turned the corner, right? We got to. Um, can't, can't get much worse. Yeah, I – I wish I could remember which barfly said this uh, in the chat room on during the Gabriel show. Uh, maybe it was you, Nomad, but that uh, DJ Moore is is a first-round draft pick, and, oh, yeah. and that's true. I mean, we've got two first-round draft picks next season. We, we, we have two first-round draft picks this season. Uh, DJ yep. Moore and whoever we draft at nine, or if we trade down, and and that is huge. This you know we go back to the '85 Bears championship. They made key trades in order to acquire key players for that team. And so hopefully Poles has done, has done that. If he hits with the Chase Claypool uh, trade, I know Retro hates Chase Claypool, calls him Cliff Claypool, but I think you're you're being Who, too harsh. Uh, Retro hates Chase Claypool. Yeah, I dare you to find me one guy in this draft. I dare anybody in the chat to find me one guy that you think 
can outperform uh, DJ Moore. I dare you find one receiver. One. Can't. Exactly. Can't. So that's the first. That's your first round pick right there. Mm-hmm. The, the yeah. thing is, it's up to Claypool though. Yeah. With with Chase, yes, it, it definitely is. But I I I'm hoping that right now he and Justin are are developing a a kinship yeah. that going to manifest itself with an 85 uh, catch season and 10 touchdowns because I truly I love the kid coming out of Notre Dame interviewed him down at the senior bowl was really impressed with him I made the mistake of asking him hey you know a lot of people were talking about you moving to tight end what do you think about that he gave me a death stare <laughs> he was like I'm a fucking white dude <laughs> man Claypool man listen Chase Claypool man you got it you got it and I'm gonna I'm gonna sound like I'm beating a dead horse, but I'm gonna say it one more time. You have no idea unless you've seen West Coast offense verbiage. You have no fucking clue what you're stepping into in the middle of a fucking season. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm supposed to go over here. I gotta get I gotta get all the checks. Not not only do I gotta remember all the verbiage that the quarterback is gonna be spitting at me, I gotta see all the checks and know where to move when I hear the checks. All that shit's fucking overwhelming. In the offseason, he's going to have time to, to really indulge in that playbook and really eat it up and know what he's hearing beforehand. So so when you hear double uh, shotgun left, jet right, and all that kind of shit that comes out of a quarterback's mouth, you know that's just window dressing. You waiting for your cue in that offense. Okay, this is what I know I need to do on this play. So you're not thinking. And so mm-hmm. I think everybody – to really chase Claypool has got it all. In fact, he's a very, very unique wide receiver in a way that I think there's only maybe one, two guys that are anywhere in the neighborhood as, as him, DK Metcalf being one. This dude is absolutely unique, and we are fortunate to have him. It's just a matter of getting the playbook down, getting Justin's cadence down, and what the it's it's a process. You can't judge him based off the little shit that you saw last year. If you mm-hmm. do, that's a fool's way of thinking. You have to judge him based off of a full offseason and what he does after that. And and Jordan is right. Claypool with the Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, had a bad offensive coordinator, a bad quarterback. He writes, you know, he had one good year of Big Ben. Then he played with the husk of Big Ben, Mason Rudolph, Duck Hodges, and a god-awful offensive quarter, Matt uh, Canada. And he actually started, you know, it seemed like him and Trubisky were going to uh, establish some type of a connection, but you know what happens with with uh, you don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody instead of a bum. I still haven't shown that to Mike North yet. <laughs> I got to do that. Uh, you know, the thing about uh, Claypool's got two things going for him. One is going to play opposite DJ Moore this year. That'll help. And then it's a contract year for him. He's out, he's out of contract after this year. Mm-hmm. So he's got he better perform if he wants another big contract. Hey, he wants a big look contract. at Sam Rush. He's extremely unique. You can't – I'm telling you, other than DK Metcalf or yeah, – there might be one more guy that I'm not thinking about right now. This cat is absolutely unique with the size, speed, mm-hmm. and catch radius that he has. This dude is different, man. To, yep. to get him with a, with a second-round pick – I don't know how if we understand how fort. I mean, that is fortune right there. Mm-hmm. You're gonna see 
the way Justin spreads this ball around. And it seems to me like Iberfus is going into camp with the idea of moving that ball around in the air a lot more than he did. They're going to focus on the passing game. And that's because of the weapons that we have. They're going to use yeah. these guys. And right. so all that shit you're saying right now, remember mm -hmm. that shit because I'm going to throw it right back in your fucking face. <laughs> I hope they, you're right. The 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 thing that is is interesting to me is that you know Claypool is he's fast, but he's not going to ever be known for creating separation. What you what Justin Fields has to get to is to be comfortable to throw it to him because Claypool will make the play. I'm not going to say 100% he's going to come down with the pass. You know, there's going to be, you know, if he's well guarded, that if he's playing against against a good cornerback, it really will be a 50-50. But for the most part, you line him up against most cornerbacks and you just get him the fucking ball and he will make a play. I, I know he will. He's, he's that type of player, you know. It's And Fields has to get comfortable with that connection. Although, imagine the kind of mismatches a DJ. Let's let's just say they go four wide. DJ, Chase, Mooney, <laughs> Valus. One of those motherfuckers are gonna get off the ball and gonna do a jet on, on whether it's DJ, whether it's Valus, whoever it is. You gotta respect that if one of them comes off of that off of that pile and goes on a jet around. Mm -hmm. You gotta respect that. The kind of fuckery that they're gonna. They're gonna give defenses fits. Mm -hmm. I would not be surprised if they're top five or seven in offense this year. Not at all. What do you guys think about what Retro wrote here? If Claypool is up for a contract, can you trust the Bears to help him make that money? He doesn't. Claypool? Yeah, he's he's Man. saying you know yeah it's a, a contract year for for Claypool, but he doesn't think that the Bears can help him play at a high level where he's gonna make that money. I don't know where what what grounds he's standing on by even weren't i mean i can't you can't really say what you don't know you you, you just be, you can't base a, a, an opinion of claypool off what you saw last year and so let's just say he had a full season last year and he came into the season and he performed like that then i would feel like someone would have a a, a ground to stand on in criticizing claypool and what he can bring to the table Claypool goes out there and get eight, nine hundred yards this year. You're gonna pay him. I mm -hmm. promise you're gonna pay him. There you go. I don't. I have no fucking idea what a switch scissors is. <laughs> Jordan throwing his football he, teams he, at me. I know. He's talking about. I know um, he's you want to explain it to us? <laughs> I'm keeping no, a secret between the two of you. Just, <laughs> he, he's talking about the kind of routes that you can put. Uh, Claypool in combo routes with other other receivers and shit like that. Things that you can do with multiple guys that can really get guys open. That's kind of what he's talking about. Before I get into the weeds with it, he's talking uh, about combo. Okay, I get you. All right, well, guys, uh, this has been a fun three hours and thirty minutes. Let's wind this thing down by. Uh, <laughs> it's it, let's wind this thing down by doing our shout outs. Tooch, why don't you go first, brother? Uh, boy, I got a, I didn't, didn't think of any shout outs yet, but, uh, as, as always, I always shout out the chat room and the barflies for all the support mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, the chat room was great tonight. Great comments. Again, they're always here for us. Uh, and then, uh, you and Nomad for putting together some great graphics and Dan Aguirre with the, you know, the supercharged memory. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, uh, you know, uh, 
Great uh, draft uh, talk all around. Nomad, what you got, brother? Well, it all starts with the guys that that are fans of the show, the chat. And I I, I say this all the time, and and I mean it every fucking time I say it. I love you guys, and I mean that shit. Thank you for being here. Thank you for giving us the, all the encouragement that we need to continue to put these put this content out here. We need more and more of it. Next time, bring some people to the show. Bring more uh, viewers in. And I can't wait to see what the next chapter of the barroom has with all these different personalities that we have to bring out here for you guys. I think it's going to be great. And I can't wait to see what my future looks like with the barroom and everybody else's. And I appreciate you, Tooch. And I appreciate you, Aldo, for having me. And you guys in the chat, man, love you all. All right. Well said, brother. Well said. Well said. Um, and I just want to close by saying that we've got a lot more uh, draft coverage coming up all the way up until the draft and during the draft and after the draft. In fact, I can <laughs> say that we are going to be live here at the Barroom Network for all seven rounds of the draft starting Thursday night. Uh, at 6 p.m., um, we will do a, a pre-draft show and then cover the first round. Uh, John Buffon, Danny Shimon, uh, Neil Stopchinski. And then on Thursday, the next two rounds, it'll be Danny Shimon and Nomad as the analyst, and I will be the lead host. And then on uh, on Saturday for day three of the draft, it's going to be a, sort of an open mic concept with lots of people coming on board and talking about the acquisitions from day three, but also the acquisitions from the first two uh, first two days of the draft. So it's going to be a big barroom party throughout the draft week. And again, as I said before and after as well, if you want some detailed scouting reports, head over to Patreon dot com for slash barroom draft Danny Shimon and Greg Gabriel have uh, already posted about a hundred uh, scouting reports on players I have uh, 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 put video to them to help illustrate some of their talking points on these players uh, Cliff says I told my wife there's no way I'm going on vacation literally paid <laughs> <laughs> draft weekend I'll pay for that I'm sure yes you will pay for that Cliff <laughs> that's called devotion motherfucker that's what I'm talking about Cliff <laughs> I'm telling you Cliff is not the only guy uh, that I know who has had a talk with his wife about that week and that weekend. It's like, (laughs) leave me alone. You know what? My girlfriend was going on vacation. She was going, you know what we've been through, Aldo. And after seven years of that, she she hadn't been able to really see her son. She's seen him once, Mm -hmm. but she wants to go and uh, go and visit him while we got a little bit of time before we get back to work. But uh, she just told me the other day, she was like, you know what? When is the draft? I told her. She's like, no, I can't, I can't go to Louisiana. I was like, what the fuck you mean? You better go to Louisiana while you got time. No, it's you've been doing all this work. You've been working your ass off. I want to see who they pick. I want to be here with you. And I was just like, it was almost That's like nice. if I wasn't black, I'd be blushing. <laughs> <laughs> you got a good lady, man. You got a good lady there. Knows how seven much years I put of, in, tomorrow's man. my seven year anniversary. Uh, seven year anniversary. Yeah, tomorrow. Yep. Wow, look at you, man. Yeah, I didn't think you'd make it. I I really didn't think you'd make it, man. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. Hey, I'm gonna I send you. I'm gonna send your girl some roses. God damn, she put up with you for seven years. I know, right? Oh, you oh, don't know shit. the happen. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, everybody. Uh, we are back live here tomorrow afternoon, 2 p.m. Bardown Hockey Talk. The guys, man, they had a great interview with Bobby Ryan, the NHL player who has had a drug alcohol abuse problems, had a really tough childhood and foster home care. They covered all of those personal details with Bobby Ryan. Tomorrow at 2 o'clock, they are back at it. The end of the NHL season is upon us. Will the Blackhawks secure that Top pick for Connor Bedard, all other NHL news. Boy, if the Blackhawks get this kid named Connor Bedard, uh, Blackhawk hockey in Chicago is going to take take off. This guy is like Wayne Gretzky. This guy is like Michael Jordan. This guy is. And so the Blackhawks have been trying to lose as many games as possible yeah. to get the best shot at this kid. So that's a fascinating storyline that the guys at Bardon Hockey talk oh, will. Yeah. Uh, be pursuing and uh, Nomad the, and the Bedard Lay, although there you go, the Bedard there you go. Lay. That's uh, all the talk. You know, which team's gonna lose? You know, try to lose <laughs> with wager. I'll bet against them this today, indeed. Yeah. And then the I forgot the name of the guy who is going second to that. He's he's not too shabby, too. He's sort of like a Scotty right. Pippen type. So they should get uh, a good pick, they, should, Black they should get a good guy, indeed. Uh, and then tomorrow night it'll be Nomad and Mr. Shorty back here uh, for open mm. mic with uh, plenty have to of drop guests. in on that. You have to, brother. Yeah, you know, there's a last time we did a little draft you, you know, talk and mock draft and everything last time. You never know when Cliff Victoria is going to make a meatloaf at three in the morning. So yeah, you want to see that? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to I, I'm going to Florida just to, to have lunch over at Cliff Victoria's house. I'm telling you, he makes food sound so good in the chat. Like, like, oh man, I'm going to go oh, upstairs yeah. and have a cheeseburger now. But it's, it's not going to be a Cliff Victoria cheeseburger. Yeah, me hungry and shit. <laughs> no shit. All right, everybody, take care. We'll see you soon. Bye bye. Love y'all. <laughs>